Thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Freed Thinker Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Vela. This is going to be a rather lengthy episode, so I'm just going to dive right into it. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please partner with us by becoming a sponsor on Podbean or on Patreon. Last time, I rebroadcast a discussion I had over at Striving for Eternity on the topic of Molinism. And from that discussion, I had some Molinists say that they would like to be given a second crack at the bat. So we arranged the discussion between Eric and myself and brought in some support on the other side. Eric was joined by Johnny Saker. Sorry, Johnny, if I butchered that. And I was joined by friend of the show and fellow Christus Victor Network host, Owen Pond. So grab your favorite beverage, hot, cold, or otherwise, and nestle in for this almost three-hour episode. Enjoy the show. All right. Hello, everybody out there. Hello, everybody. This is the Council of Google Plus. And tonight we will be having our Molinism 2.0 talk. Uh, we had another talk on Striving for Eternity Ministries. Uh, I believe it was about two weeks ago. And tonight we're uh, re-going over certain topics and just clarifying things so that the so that listeners can understand. Um, and so I wanted to open up with a word of prayer. So. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, this time, Lord, that you have given to us to uh, plumb the depths of your truth, Lord, and to meet with good brothers and discuss these important issues. Uh, and I pray that we would all be, uh, we would be enlightened, Lord, and that you would be glorified in this conversation. Um, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the... Uh, Format for tonight is that we will start with first. We'll start with with openers. So if everybody could give a one minute opener, and after the openers, we'll move to the format where we'll start with the Molinists and we'll go to the non-Molinists, and then we'll kind of switch back and forth. And it'll just be really an open discussion, uh, pretty unmoderated. So if I'll start with Johnny and Eric to give their one minute uh, bios. I should say, I said openers, I meant bios, so. Uh, I can go first, Eric, is that all right? Yeah, go for it. Uh, well, I'm from Sydney, Australia, my name is Johnny. I'm a lawyer in uh, by trade. I, I currently do my Master's of Philosophy and PhD in law, particularly in legal philosophy. I was saved there five years ago. I was a Maronite Catholic, and that's like a... Lebanese branch of the Roman Catholic, and then uh, actually was influenced mainly by James White and his ministry, ironically enough, and though I'm not a Calvinist. Uh, but yeah, so uh, I was able to do that. My family are mostly Roman Catholic, so I've tried to um, show them the truth, and you know, God does the growing in a sense. And 
my initial, I've only been a Molinist for a few months, actually. My love for philosophy and natural theology has only been for about maybe seven, eight months, give or take. Before, that was more to exegetical studies, particularly um, specialising in the area of Roman Catholicism and that kind of doctrine. And so here I am today as a Molinist. Um, yeah, uh, Eric Hernandez, me and Tyler had that discussion last time. Uh, like I said, I'm striving for eternity. Um, uh, run uh, Eric Hernandez Ministries, uh, just basically doing apologetics, engaging a lot with atheists, currently writing a book entitled Why I'm Not an Atheist, um, subtitles, something to the effect of an analysis of the logically inconsistent, self-defeating, irrational, uh, logically incoherent, atheistic worldview. Um, passion, uh, philosophy of mind, the soul, uh, consciousness, free will, things like that. Um, I mean, you can go back on the other show and, and look at more of my bio or background. Uh, taught at a Bible Institute a few years ago. Uh, bachelor's in theology, have the certificate of apologetics from Biola. Um, yeah, uh, pretty much it. All right. I think I got voluntold to go next uh, while Owen's finishing his last little bit of setup. So uh, I'm Tyler. I am the host of the Freed Thinker podcast and blog. Um, I studied philosophy at a uh, secular state school here in California, Sonoma State University, um, which is where uh, the Lord uh, called me home. And I uh, got a degree in uh, biblical studies at Moody Bible Institute, and I'm currently working on uh, my master's in biblical studies at Reformed Theological Seminary. Um, and I'm an elder in the PCA currently. All right, my name is Owen Pawn. I uh, actually am a missionary in Bulgaria, which is one of the reasons why we're doing this hangout so late, so that we could accommodate half of the world's time zones. I am originally from Los Angeles, and when I'm home, Tyler and I actually uh, met each other at the same church in Los Angeles, so that's how we got connected. Uh, my ministry is here in Bulgaria, missionary work, church planting, evangelism, outreach, discipleship, and then online, I also run the Christus Victor network of podcasts, which includes a couple shows. Tyler's show, the Freed Thinker podcast, which is on apologetics and is one of my favorite shows, not just because it's on the network, but also Memento Mori, which is a podcast about theology and the walking dead. So if you watch the walking, I'm not saying you need to watch the walking dead, but if you do watch the walking dead, then Memento Mori, uh, you should check it out and come participate in the discussion. And then also Ask a Millennial Christian is a show that I run about millennials and also the millennials facing uh, the issues and so those are those are the main places where I spend my time online all right awesome awesome so I suppose we'll get started with the Molinists uh, tonight so they can uh, bring up any points of clarification and then we'll have responses from our non Molinist side and so if Johnny or Eric want to I want to open that up. Um, you guys are free to to uh, talk. Uh, Johnny, you want to go first since uh, I was first last time with me and Tyler? Uh, anything specific you want me to um, give better clarification on? Uh, maybe because obviously I don't know exactly what clarifications they need. If I just go on spewing information they already know and then any clarifications may waste time, maybe it's better and obviously it's up to you. 
if they want something to be clarified or if they think they know something or whatever, maybe it might be easier. Um, well, let's, let, how about this? Let's start with uh, what Molinism is, just in case you know people didn't see the last discussion I had with Tyler. Okay. Um, uh, do you want to take that? Do you want me to? Uh, you can take that one. It's fine. Um, basically, what I said last time was, uh, first, essentially, when we're talking about Molinism, we're talking about God's omniscience, and uh, uh, Molinism is not—it's uh, just a better understanding, a deeper understanding of God's omniscience. Uh, Molinism per se, Molinism proper, is basically that God, uh, that, that God knows all true propositions. So that would be something like uh, Eric loves pizza. That is either true or false, and God knows whether that's true or false. Um, there are also future propositions uh, God, uh, God, that God knows. Um, Eric will eat pizza tomorrow is also either true or false, and God knows whether that's true or false. And then you have counterfactual propositions. Um, which basically mean that God also knows uh, what would be true given other circumstances, what I will do, what I could do, even if I don't do it. So, for example, God knows that Eric will eat pizza tomorrow, and he also knows that I could have not eaten pizza or perhaps eaten a cheeseburger instead. So God knows all true propositions, all future, that includes the future propositions, what I will do, and it includes counterfactual propositions, what I could or would do given other circumstances, um, even if I don't ever do them. Um, that's basically uh, middle knowledge and Molinism that God knows not just what will happen, but what could happen um, given other circumstances. In a nutshell, that's what Molinism would be. Um, I think a lot of uh, the disagreements that Tyler and I had last time stemmed from the application of Molinism and more specifically um, libertarian free will. Uh, that is to say uh, we disagreed on whether or not someone could actually do other than what God knew or uh, if God's knowledge determined, it, if, at least for me it seemed like uh, Tyler was implying that God's knowledge determined uh, what I did given the world that he actualized. Um, I mean, I guess we can start there. I don't know if uh, Johnny you want to jump in and say something else. Uh, thanks, Eric. I think another thing is God doesn't see into the future. And sometimes I think if me and Eric and everyone else see, I think we all agree God doesn't see to gain knowledge. So if we do use words like see and view and stuff like that, it's just anthropomorphically, uh, you know, sometimes our brain just goes wide. So he knows for his logical moments. There's uh, the natural natural knowledge which he knows everything all true propositions are uh, they're contingent uh but he doesn't make them true for example two plus two is four god didn't make that truth that truth is always independent of god's will his middle knowledge which is also independent of god's will he doesn't um uh determine the truth value of counterfactuals of creatures if you're otherwise they're not really freedom permitting circumstances nor are they really free they're just been determined by god and his will so there he doesn't have control of whether I would do X or would not do X in circumstances C, the true value of that in a possible world in the actual is dependent upon my uh, my actions. And then he has his free knowledge, which is what will happen, everything that he has actualized. So what he has actualized is taken into consideration and taken into account the free will and the true uh, value of the counterfactual creature of freedom from what has already occurred past his decree. These are true prior decree, not because of his decree. Sure, I have a I have a question on that point. If if Molinism is simply middle knowledge, then aren't aren't we aren't Tyler and I also Molinists because we believe that God can have counterfactual knowledge? So then we're Molinists. 
I'd say Molinism proper, sure. I mean, the basics is as far as uh, here's okay. Here's here's something that me and Tyler uh, disagree on. Uh, for example, I believe that you can be a Calvinist and a Molinist. Um, as Johnny was saying, Molinism simply means that God has all this knowledge prior to His decree, and that He uses this knowledge uh, to decide which world He wants to create freely. So, uh, one one uh, as it's often said, one pillar of Molinism is that God would also know what free creatures would do in any given circumstance. Now, you can be a Calvinist and reject libertarian free free will, and yet still affirm that if there were a world in which free creatures existed that possessed libertarian free will, you would God would know what that world would be like. So if you know, or if you believe rather, that God knows what free creatures would do in a world in which libertarian free will did exist, then I would say, yeah, you'd be a Molinist. Uh, I think to add to that point, in a sense, Calvinists can be Molinists. I've spoken to a few guys, but the difference is for um, Eric and I, when we say middle knowledge, what he knows is because of what we freely do. If the compatibilism or determinism is true, sure, he would have what we would do, but he knows what we would do because he's determined what we would do. In Molinism is he knows what we would do, and they are free actions. Now, the question is, can God or does God have the ability to know uh, actions that are free and i'm not too sure uh whether you guys believe it i don't see why not but perhaps that's an answer and so that's the way I, we argue for that he does know what free creatures would do in circumstances even within the possible worlds so then we can or we can't be molinists if so so tyler last episode uh you guys got into the subject of middle knowledge and tyler laid out that the the traditional historic orthodox view of omniscience simply contains middle knowledge that's just a subsect of the knowledge that god already has so if that's the defining point how, how is it unique from anything uh, well like i was saying well like i had mentioned uh, at one point was that um it's not it's not Again, this is part of omniscience. Uh, it's like saying that um, Christ came down and became a man, and then going further into explaining about the dual natures of Christ, that he had a human nature and he has a divine nature. Um, so this is just a deeper explanation of omniscience. And it's also um, goes a little bit deeper in the sense that it talks about possible worlds, which is a semantic way of speaking, as I'm sure you know, but just for the listeners, a, a semantic way of speaking. Um, for example, uh, is it uh, in our last episode or show, um, there are things that God would know um, that are necessary truths, and that's part of his natural knowledge. And then there's then you have God's free knowledge, which is what happens in this actual world. And then there's the counterfactual knowledge, which are contingent things that did not happen or could not happen. For example, God would know what my life would be like had I had another sibling or one less sibling and different things like that. So it's just a deeper explanation of omniscience. Um, I mean, I brought it up before, and I think I think Owen, his his question, I'm not sure it's getting answered. Um, if if Molinism is just middle knowledge, right? Just that, that's just that God has exhaustive knowledge of all true facts, whether they be counterfactual facts actual facts, future facts, past facts, all facts, all true propositions, um, which is just subsumed under omniscience, 
historically. Um, how is Molinism a distinct position over and against anything else? I mean, it, it would be like me saying, well, covenant theology just says that God works in covenants. So if you believe that God works in covenants, then you hold the covenant theology. I mean, it, I used the theonomy example last time, where if you just say, well, theonomy is just the, the, the view that we value the law of God. Well, I mean, every Christian values the law of God, even if whether, you know, even new covenant theologians who are going to uh, say that it was abrogated, they're still going to find value in it. Um, and so, you know, then say, oh, well, everyone's a theonomist. Well, no, in both of those cases, those terms have come to represent um, theological positions. I mean, covenant theology is a specific uh, theological framework. Theonomy is a specific theological system. Um, and Molinism has come to be a, a, a specific theological system. So, I, I mean, in one sense, I'm, I'm prepared to just concede the term and say, okay, I'm a Molinist with a lowercase m, fine, whatever, you know, I'm a theonomist with lowercase t. Um, you're a covenant theologian with a lowercase ct. Um, but you don't hold to those in in the um, capital, capital letter proper noun sense where they've come to determine theological systems. Um, so, and, and you call that the application of, of middle knowledge. Fine, let's call capital M Molinism the system that has come to be built around middle knowledge and say, well, that capital M Molinism is what we're, is what we're debating tonight. Yeah. Uh, 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 Johnny can jump in if he wants. Um, cause I'd rather, I'd rather not spend time debating what is or what is not, or who is and who is not. Uh, can I just go out and ask, uh, what, what are your guys views on Molinism? That is to say, what, what do you think Molinism is and what part of Molinism do you disagree with? Sure, that's easy. I think middle middle knowledge is not the crux of Molinism. It's the easiest thing to explain. And it's the easiest thing to lay out. But the crux is libertarian free will. Everything revolves around libertarian free will. It's an entire structure and system set up to preserve God's sovereignty and free will. That's why this is a system. It's in, in opposition to Calvinism or in opposition to open theism. So that's why it's a little confusing to me when we try to put the emphasis on middle knowledge that we would mostly all agree exists. And it, it really is that question of libertarian free will, which in the Molinist system really just defaults back to compatibilism, which is why uh, I've had so many questions about it. Tyler, would you have a different opinion? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the system, um, I think you're right. I think it's built on an attempt to, to find a bridge between libertarian freedom and divine sovereignty. Um, and I think it does it with a certain metaphysic. Um, it's, it's a, it has been, I, I haven't met a Molinist. So you're going to say this is an application of middle knowledge or an application of Molinism because Molinism is middle knowledge, whatever. Okay. It's the application. Um, I haven't met a Molinist who hasn't taken the application, um, where, where God, um, specifically chooses which world to actualize based on his middle knowledge, uh, of, um, of all the different possible worlds. And, and again, I, I made this concession or I made this, this clear before um, and we should make it clear again for our audience. When we're talking about possible worlds, none of us here are talking about parallel universes. We're not talking about 
um, you know, a, a world existing next to ours or anything like that. We're not talking about, you know, actual different universes springing out of other universe. That's not what we're talking about. We're just, it, it's possible world semantics is a way about talking about possibility and contingency. It's a, it's a modal operator. So um, it's a way about talking about modal logic. So um, please don't think any of us are saying that there are these other possible worlds. That would be a very, very, very uncharitable way of dealing with our Molinist brothers here. Um, but with that said, I haven't met a single Molinist um, who hasn't had that metaphysic, hasn't had that system that God uh, knows all the, all the possible worlds um, and chooses which of those worlds to actualize based on what he foreknows the facts of those world uh, of that world to be. Um, so that, that's why I think Molinism um, is, is a system. And, and it's that that I have um, problems with um, quite a bit that we discussed last time and we'll bring up more this time. But I mean, surely you, you do believe that God used, well, maybe you don't, let me ask this. I mean, do you believe God used, uses his omniscience when he created the, or decreed, rather, what, what he wanted to create? Owen, do you want to take that one or you want me to take it? Sure. I mean, I'm sure you're going to go somewhere with that, but I'll start off with that. And then really quickly, this is just, I, I know you disagree with the libertarian free will, which is, is just strange to me that that would not be the place that Molinism stands, because this is from Reasonable Faith. So this is William Lane Craig. Obviously, he's not the standard of Molinism, but he's certainly its brightest light, uh, not in terms of smartest, just in terms of the one who's, who's casting the widest net. He says, the doctrine of Molinism seeks to reconcile God's sovereign predestination with man's free will. That's how he frames Molinism's driving force. I mean, that was definitely something Molina sought to do. He was a counter-reformer. Uh, one distinction that can be made is about uh, the fact that God had this knowledge prior to his decree. I asked um, Tyler last time if God was omniscient prior to his decree, and did he know these things prior to his decree, or does he only know these things because of his decree? But, I mean, he can answer that that later. Um, Molinism was was uh, really, it's, it's, it's a look at God's sovereignty. Um, for Molina, this was a higher view of sovereignty than the Calvinist, the reformer view. Sure. Well, that's so this is an interesting question uh, where we all know the famous quote from William Lane Craig that God has to play with the cards that he's dealt. Uh, now, you can remove that and say, well, who dealt the cards? And I think that's a reasonable question that we could get into. But my question is going to be, what about those cards? Why are they the specific cards that he has? If if God is the creator of the cards, then could he not make the cards whatever he wants them to be? That's where I don't understand a bit of the Molinistic anthropology. It seems as if God is, and, and William Lane Craig will use this language too, he is confronted with creaturely counterfactuals. It's as if there are these blocks of individuals or people or souls or whatever, and he's confronted with these, then he has to build the best world out of these blocks. But he's the one who made the blocks. And that's that's a point that I'd really appreciate clarification on. If he made them, then how is he confronted with anything? He's the one designing them. He could design them to fit into a world. And if it's because of libertarian free will, then at that point, God doesn't, how, how can God know what they're going to do if they truly have free will? And if he does know, then why doesn't he just change the blocks? Um, I, I, want, I do want to let John jump in because I don't want to do all the talking, but 
Um, so, so I'm a little bit confused here because it seems like y'all are saying that Molinism is not different than omniscience, but then it seems like you're saying that your poem is with libertarian free will. So then would it not be appropriate to say that our discussion is a disagreement over free will and not omniscience? Um, that would just be one question to, to keep in mind. And um, uh, well, I just got to let Johnny take it from there. Um, I don't know if he wants to touch on that free will or not, but if, if not, I'll say something about the free will. Uh, thanks, Eric. Uh, regarding the cause, I understand even when I hear that kind of analogy, it's like, what, what are you trying to say? God is limited? In a sense, he is. God is limited, A, by his nature, by the laws of logic. So to say God is limited, we all agree he is limited to an extent. It doesn't mean limitations that we, uh, you and I have. Uh, but in limitation, what he's trying to say is that when God comes to create a world, it will make a decree or actualize the world. The cards which is dealt are basically the true uh, counterfactuals that are given. And he doesn't create those true counterfactuals. Now, unless you're Thomas and uh, believe in divine concurrence that God works on the will in order to make the cards true, for example, God determined that Pharaoh would do X under circumstances to C and he could not do otherwise, they're the counterfactual he'd create. But that's not free. Freedom is, well, what would he do? And then your second question would be, well, how does God know? Now, I'm not too sure if, you're, if you've read the grounding objections. Some people say, how does God know? And because of that kind of uh, argumentation, I'm not saying for yourself, people will turn to open theism and say, no, it's impossible for God to know because it's just so random. There's no way he could know unless he's decreed it. I don't know if that's your position. Maybe you want to um, ask that kind of question, so I'm not going to go into that too much. Eric, if you want to continue. Um, yeah, just about, about that's, that's what I was thinking of, was about making the cards. Yeah, um, yeah, God made the people, but if libertarian free will exists, then surely there's a difference between God making the people and then God making the people act. If people have free will, then it's up to them to act, not God. So they're the ones, they're the first movers to their actions. Um, that is to say, they, they are the ones that, that do the acting. It is not God who makes them act. So, um, I mean, if you believe that God has knowledge of what free creatures would do, then you would have, then you would, in other words, you would believe this if you held to omniscience. That is that God necessarily knows all true counterfactuals. So if God is omniscient, then he would know what free creatures could and could not do in any given situation. So I don't see where the confusion would lie. So yeah, God made the cards. That is to say God made the people. But of course, the people, if they have free will, would still do as they please. So, so this is where um, this is where my objection, my major objection, came in last time, and um, at the, I'd like to bring it back up again um, because I don't think you, I don't think it got addressed last time, um, and it could have been how I was communicating it. Um, I'm not sure you understood the objection. Um, so uh, am, I, am I able to share screens? Am I able to? Yeah, you should be. Able to. Yeah. 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 Can you guys see my screen? Is that? Yeah, that's all good. So I have four slides. Um, we shouldn't Andrew okay. be here if we're going to be doing charts. Right. Leave it, leave it, leave it to the dispensationalists. It's not, I, have, I only have one chart. It's at the very end. So let me, let me go through the four slides. Let me just take a minute and go through the four slides and then see 
if you you can respond to the objection, but I but I want to make sure we're at least grasping what the objection is. So so in this, and I'll try not to make it too complicated for for those who who are watching. We'll go through the the verbal arguments and not the symbolic arguments. Um, so P is a possible world, right? It's a logically possible world. So if P is possible, then it's possible for an omnipotent being to actualize it, right? That's just the standard definition of an omnipotence. P is possible. Therefore, it's possible for an omnipotent being to actualize it. That's just a simple modus ponens. If P, this, so there's another syllogism. If, if world P is actualized, then N, which is just a representative number, N number of people will freely believe in God. If N number of people will freely believe in God, then the fact of N will be known by God. Therefore, if P is actualized, then the fact of N will be known by God. Right? That's just another way of saying whatever is going to be true in world P, if N is a feature of P, then God will know it. So what follows from that is if God knows that if he were to actualize P, and, and to answer your question, yes, God has this omniscience before, uh, before his decrees. If God knows uh, that if he were to actualize world P, then N number of people will freely believe in God. God actualized P, let's just call P the, the actual world. Therefore, N number of people will freely believe. So, so I, I just want to stop at that point and say, Eric, does that, does that close? I mean, that, that seems to be what Molinism says, right, about the actual world, that, that God uh, knew the features of the actual world, the fact of the actual world. He, he knew the facts of what our free choices would be in if he actualized this world. And based on that knowledge of what our free choices would be, he actualized this world, which is P. Is, is that is that an accurate representation so far? That God used our free choices to bring about uh, what He wanted. No, 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 no. That 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 God that God actualized P either in whole or in part because of His knowledge of our free choices. Right, right. Don't you believe that that as well? That God actualized the world and He knew what would happen. It's different, right? So, I mean, this is this is again, this is an argument of about or a debate about Molinism, not about what we believe, right? We're exam we're examining your view. Well, right. So, so, so I'm just asking if this is if this is accurate so far, right? I'm not. I'm I'm trying to get the objection across mm -hmm. as clear as possible, and this is one of the only ways I know how to do it, right? So, so is is this accurate so far to what Molinism says that 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 God has that God has this this middle knowledge of, of what would happen if he actualized some potential world and and part of that knowledge is what you and I what everybody would freely do within that world if he actualized it yes yeah, so God that, yeah sure I, I can yeah. take that Johnny wanted to say something so your first one where it says uh Eric, I think you're not. Can you mute it so I can see the chat? Sorry, Eric. I'm sorry. Can you mute? Because I can't see the chat. I can see your your face, which is great, but I gotta see the chat as well. Actually, if you click on Tyler's uh, logo, it'll it'll oh, stay it's up there. Yeah. Ah, oh, I cheese. I never use this. Okay, so the first one: if P is possible, then, P, then it is possible for an God to being to actualize it. Not necessarily. Just because something is possible 
doesn't mean it's able to be actualized. What I mean by that, for example, it is possible for me not to lie in every single scenario from at this point until the end of I die. That is possible. It is possible because I am not coerced. I am not forced in any way, shape, or form. The circumstances which I am in aren't deterministic. Therefore, it is possible, logically possible, for me to absolutely never lie in my entire life. Therefore, it's a possibility, but given my essence and who I am, if God were to look at the world, there's no way to actualize the world which I do that because I myself, since I uh, make the truth value of the counterfactual due to my own actions, that is not possible and therefore not actualizable. So, so I, I get I get that you're going to say something is logically possible, but it's not feasible for for God to exist, even though He's omnipotent. Put just put a pen in that for a second because that's actually what I'm trying to get clarification on. What is the the differential metaphysic that's happening there? So so hold that thought because I know that that's the answer, right? That's the answer you're going to give on slide four. But I want to find out why, right? So just 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 please. Be patient on that question. I promise it'll come up. But so, okay, but so, so far, yeah, just so far, just to clarify, the, so the first the first syllogism that is that is the typical uh, view of omnipotence, right? It, it, you you might disagree with it, but it is the typical one. That's the traditional one. It's really the second two syllogisms that I'm that I'm trying to figure out is just is that on both of your view is that an accurate representation? of Molinism, that, that God has this middle knowledge that he knows that if he were to actualize world P, basic, our free, that, yeah, that I, our free choices therein, that, that and, and here we're just confining ourselves to belief in God. We're not talking about all free choices, right? So, so the fact of N, N number of people freely believe in God is a fact that he foreknows about world P. It's, it's, it's baked into his knowledge about world P such that if he actualizes P, well, hold on. N number of P will freely believe. Yeah, I, I, I have a problem, I think, with your number threes and your last two um, because it, uh, for a few reasons, and maybe I, I'm just reading it wrong. Um, let's see, on the second one, if N number of people will freely believe in God, then the fact of N will be known by God. It's... Uh, Okay, sure. Number three, though, therefore, if P is actualized, then the fact of N will be known by God. Um, no, God knows these things whether or not they're actualized. That's why they're counterfactual. So they don't need to be actualized for God to know them. Because I, 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 I feel like it's as if you are implying that God won't know this unless he actualizes it. That, that's um, not, it's, it's, it's a logical if-then. It's not, it's not a causal. Okay, because that's what it seems like, and that's what it sounded like you arguing in your objection the first time. Same thing with the last one. Um, there, it's like if God, uh, let's, uh, yeah, basically it seems like you're saying that if God knows it, okay, if it's actualized, then God will know it. But you're saying you're not saying that, right? You're not saying, you're, but, you're, you do agree with me that God knew this, whether or not he actualized it, he knew this counterfactual, correct? Cor correct. Okay. But, but we're, right. I, we're, we're good. I mean, especially the bottom, the bottom one, we're good. But if, uh, if God if God knows if you were to actualize world peace, I mean this this is this is really your view of the act. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. This is your view of the actual world, right? That 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 He actualized this world based on His foreknowledge, uh, in whole or in part, of what we would do in this circumstances as opposed to other circumstances, and so that that again, our free choices in whole or in part are what determined if this was the best world to actualize, and so so our based choices. on what. 
determine they, whether or not this world was the best? No. Our, so, so, I mean, as far as I understand Molinism, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm not trying to say that the best world has to be the world with the most people being saved, right? But that does typically tend to be um, the argument given. But whatever, whatever it is that makes something the best possible world, our free choices are a major determining factor in that, right? And so if 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 uh, not God, necessarily, but I I do understand what you're trying to say. Yeah. So so God God knew that if He were to actualize this world, let's just let's just say P is the actual world. Okay. If if God if God chose to actualize this world, it, if before actualizing it, He knew that in this world in number of people would freely believe in God, right? Not coerced. They would, they would freely believe in God. Right. Right. Such that when he actualizes this world, because N is a feature of P by actualizing P N is actualized, right? Because N is just a fact of P. Correct. Uh, say, say that one more time. I was reading a comment. So, uh, so the last part. And, and if God actualizes P, N will be actualized because N just is a fact of P. It's it's a fact contained within P. Uh, okay. Okay. I'll move on. I, I think I'm I'm fairly certain that this is this is basically what the Molinist view of. Uh, I, I can take. I can concede that for now. I'm wondering okay. what your objection is going to be. Okay. So. This is just a kind of a longer version of it. So prior to actualizing P, where P is the actual world, and X is the finite number of the specific people who freely believe equal to 50% of humans. I, I'm, I'm just, I don't know how many people have actually freely believed in God. I'm just saying it's 50% of humanity. I don't know. I'm, it's, just a, it's just a number. It's an arbitrary dis designator. Right? So before actualizing P, there, there is X which is a fact of P, right? And X, it represents a specific number of people who fr freely believe that's equal to 50% of humanity, right? So P is a logically possible world, right? We, we have to concede that because P is the actual world. In P, X number of specific people freely believe. And God knows that if P was actualized, then X number of specific people will freely believe. That is, God actualized P and thus exactly X number of specific people freely believe, right? Our human freedom is accounted for as a fact of P and thus does not alter X, right? So, so it's not that it, when, when God decided to actualize P, and again, I'm not saying he looks down the corridors of time. I'm not trying to say that he learns. It's just a feature of how we talk about it. Right? I'm not trying to misrepresent your view and trying to say, oh, you're saying God, you know, learns these things. That's not what I'm trying to say. I just don't know how else to talk about it. So when he when he looks at all the options, all the different possible worlds, right, and he, and he comes across P, right, when he looks at P, he knows that if he were to create P, that it's not just some arbitrary number. He knows, he knows with certainty the specific exact people <clears throat> that would freely believe if he actualized P, right? So, so their freedom is accounted for. It's baked yes. in. To pee, right? Yes. So, yes, they, but I, I want to clarify though. He knows it with certainty, but that doesn't mean that this is going to necessarily happen. I, I think I know where you're getting at with the objection because it's the same one, and and we could have made it shorter. But I mean, you could have just gone to the objection. 
Just because God knows with certainty something's going to happen doesn't mean it's necessary that it's going to happen. I, I'm, example, I'm, not, I'm not making the motto fallacy. I'm not saying just because God certainly knows, therefore it's a necessary fact. Okay, because if it's good. a necessary fact, it would have to exist in all possible worlds. Right, right, which is yeah, kind of what you were saying I'm, last time. No, it For wasn't. Sure. That's why I'm saying I don't think you understood the objection. That's not what I was saying. Well, that would be okay. that would be a motto fallacy, which right. I wasn't committing. Not right? now, right. Well, okay. Yeah. So, which that's not okay. Anyways, um, so th so th I think you largely agree to this, right? Okay. So let's alter it a little bit. Prior to actualizing world W, where W is some logically possible world, where N is a finite number of specific people who freely believe is equal to one hundred percent of humans, right? Such that W is a logically possible world, N W. N number of specific people freely believe. God knows that if W is actualized, then N number of specific people will freely believe. Now, we're going to pretend that W is the actual world, right? It's not, but we're going to pretend. God actualizes W and thus exactly N number of specific people freely believe. Same metaphysics, right? Our human freedom was already accounted for as a fact of W, right? N number of people freely believing was accounted for. It's, it's a fact already contingent within W and thus does not alter N. So, so if God before creating W knew that N number of people would freely believe in actualizing the world, we can't then say, well, human freedom, therefore less than N will believe. Right, because because human freedom is already accounted for, n is a fact of w. This is it's it's the exact same uh, exact same thing as the prior slide. Just the number has changed, right, from fifty percent of humans to a hundred percent of humans. We didn't yeah. change anything about the possibility of the world. We didn't change anything about God's foreknowledge. We didn't change anything about God actualizing. We didn't change anything about the relationship to freedom. Right, we didn't change any of that. So, so all that changes is the number of people. That, there's, there's no metaphysical change that happens where free will now suddenly can alter anything. So this is the example, and this is where, this is where, I'm, I'm, this is where I, I want clarification because I don't understand, right? So number one is uh, the actual world, right? God foreknows that if P, X will believe. God actualizes P, therefore X freely believe. We said that's the actual world, that's fine. Uh, free will is baked in here on step one, right? So that way, by the time you get here, you can't say, oh, we freely believe, therefore it's different than what's here. The number doesn't change. God foreknows that if W, then N will believe. God actualizes yeah, and Johnny W. Johnny, I'm going to say something. Let me just get to this, the number three, because this is where my question comes from. Long. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying I, I know. I, I know it's long, but I, but I, I want to develop it to make sure it's clear. Yeah, because um, you kept saying we didn't understand, we missed, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you were saying I was committing moto fallacies when I wasn't. So I, I'm trying to make this as clear as possible, right? God foreknows that if W, that then sorry, typo, then N will believe. God actualizes W and freely believes. So my question, because if you look at the bottom one, this is your answer. This is the answer you kept giving. Let me hide this little thing. God foreknows. Right, there, there's a logically possible world W where 100% N believe, right? God, that is a logically possible world. You're saying the problem is 
that God can't actualize it because free will would kick in and we we might never uh, we might all lie or we might all whatever right my my question is why if it's a logically possible world and God could know that a hundred percent of humanity would believe and free will is baked in on step one of the other ones why does free will suddenly cut the chain later on right what happens in the metaphysics what changes metaphysically when we just alter the number of people believe that alters the relationship of the actual the of, of the the world being able to be actualized of being feasible and free will right that's the question that's what i don't understand that's uh, so the truth of values of the counterfactuals of creation of freedom that determine how many n number of people will be saved those just it's possible a hundred percent if you give um for example if I were to have a million people in a stadium, it's possible if I said, everyone raise your hand, 100% could raise their right hand, every single individual. But given the free will of each single individual, to get a million people to do that is probably never possible in any amount of possible worlds. Therefore, it's not able to be actualized. And so that's why but, what it determines how 100% not occurring, as you're saying, is a truth value determined by the agent, not by God. But you're not omnipotent. That's where the analogy fails. You're not omnipotent. God is, right? And remember, these are all equally logically possible worlds prior to uh, God's choice to create or actualize which one, right? X and N are equally logically possible, right? We're just varying the number of people believe, right? Both of those are equally logically possible. And in both of those, 50% of belief, 100% of belief, both of those free will is baked in as a fact of that world that God foreknows, right? So for an omnipotent being, for a being that, that, that has all, that is all powerful, that's not constrained by anything except for his own nature and, and, uh, and the laws of logic as, as determined by his nature, why, why can an omnipotent God not actualize the 100% belief world because of free will, but he can actualize the 50% world and free will doesn't sever that. Because if he were to actualize a world where 100% believe, there may only need to be one person. For example, if I, if I were to flip uh, heads or tails once or twice, heads may appear twice, but if I were to flip it a million times, heads might only appear, let's say, 300,000 times. So the more uh, people there are, the various possibilities there are actually actualized or the true fail just is just static. So it is possible for 100% and to be actualized if there's only maybe one or two people. Any more than that, free will, because there's so many more free will, so many more probabilities of failure, it's not actual to make, let's say, 6 billion people in the world to make it actual. Therefore, it's not feasible, though it's possible. Right, and that's something I brought up last time too. I, I, I said a similar thing, so I did answer the objection in that maybe a world in which 100 people believe was only one or two people, and that God took in more account than just the number that will be saved. He also took in account who will be lost and how many would be saved, and I also said that, you know, in some world in which, you know, more people are saved, more people are lost, and so it's not just one factor that we're looking at. Of course, God is, is omniscient and knows everything, so, I mean, we... 
it would be hard for us to grasp that. So we have to consider more than just one factor. And it seems like you're just focusing on that one factor. Well, no, because again, I, maybe Owen can jump in here in a second. Cause I, I still think I, I, I'm trying to be nice about it, but it sounds like you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. No, we're because, saying that God can actualize a world in which a hundred people, hundred percent uh, are saved, but that might be a world in which only one person saved because he only created one person. So um, yeah, he can actualize it, but maybe he saw that that wasn't the best world. But there, there, there's a logically possible world that has the exact same number of people as this world. Okay. 100% of them freely believe that's a logically possible world. And so God knows if he actualized that world, then based on their free choices, because it's a, the logical possibility is free belief. Right. Therefore, if he actualized W that therefore N would freely believe where N is hundred percent of humanity equal to the number of people that have ever been alive on earth today. Right? And maybe and will be alive before he comes back. Right. And right? That's, that's kind of the point there is that maybe there is no world in which a thousand people all freely choose to be saved. Uh, uh, that, that, that's kind of the point though. It's logically possible. It's not feasible in the sense that maybe in that world, there is no world in which a million people all choose to be saved. If but it's, a, logic, but it's a logically possible. All of these are logically possible. We're, we're just talking about which ones are feasible for God to actualize. Okay, but well then if we're talking about feasible to actualize, and we're not talking about that kind of a world because that might not be, as as Owen said earlier, one of the cards that God has in front of him. So you have the, the logically possible world, and then you have to narrow it down to the, the feasible worlds. But I'm asking, what makes the exact same situations, the exact same metaphysics, why is one feasible and the other not feasible? What is the metaphysical difference between the two where freedom is baked in, where the, the, the free belief of that number of people is one of the facts of that world that God foreknows? What is the metaphysical difference that makes it unfeasible for an omnipotent being from creating? Right? You can't say, well, that might not be a feasible world. Why not? Because it's because it's a cop out. Because there, there's not. no there's no reason to say that there's no reason to say that's not feasible for an omnipotent being. You you can't you can't just say, well, well, it's not feasible for God to do. Right? That's not an answer. Yeah, sure, sure it is. If if people because I can, no no because I can say well it is feasible for God to do so therefore mic drop I win it is feasible therefore well, well, no. boom. Like, no, because that's, not, again, that's not an answer. And maybe Johnny can jump in here. No, we're talking about more than just one factor. So, okay, let, let's just talk numbers here so we can get on the same page. Let's say you're saying that, let's say a million people in this world are safe. But you're saying in a, in, in a world with only a million people that I'm saying that all those million no, people. Not what I said. I said the exact same number of people as well, this world. Yeah, right. And I just said, just hypothetically, let's say it's a million in this world. And you're saying in a world, and then in that with that exact same number, those million people wouldn't be saved in another world. I'm saying that there's more factors to it. It could be that the reason I'm saved in this world is because of other people that would exist in this world. And if you take out those people, I I might not be saved. But there's a logically possible world where a hundred percent of people could be saved, right? That's a, that's that's the point the that you're missing. World. It's no, a I, logically possible world that the exact same, the exact, we could even say the exact same humans who have ever existed, 
right? It is a logically possible world that the exact same humans who have ever existed would all believe, repent and believe, right? That's a oh, logically possible world, right? If, for example, but it's 100% possible. You can't say that that world can exist. If it's only those people, yes, because that because my salvation could depend on a number of factors, which would include people who didn't get saved. But it, but it could not. There's a logically possible world where it doesn't. And go, go ahead, Johnny. I know you want to say something. Um, like I mentioned before, if we only have one person or one coin, if I was to flip the coin to heads, it's that one flip, and if I got head once, that's 100% probability that heads was the answer. If I flipped that same coin a million times, there's probably no possible world where every single instance, due to the massive amounts of probabilities that exist, for it always to be here. That's what you're asking. No, no, no. no yes, no. maybe, maybe is one. Is God omnipotent? Is God omnipotent? Yeah, I know. If God wanted to flip a coin, in, if God wanted to flip a coin a billion times and get heads a billion times, could God flip a coin a billion times, get heads a billion times? Yeah, it's determined. Sure. That's why your analogies don't work because no, you're no. you're you're relying on random chance, right? We're talking about sovereignty and we're talking about an omnipotent God you're, you're actualizing the world. That, if if your if Calvinism is true in the sense, if you want to put Calvin and Molinus, you want to be together. If God determined the truth values, or and the truth value being person being saved, that absolutely He can make a trillion people in a world in which a trillion get saved because they will all be determined to freely choose Him. What we're saying is no, they're not coerced, they're not determined. It's them and their own free will. The more people you have, the amount of factors it just it obliterates. Yes, one person, one free will, saved or not saved. 50-50, let's say, just use probabilistic. The more people you have, it's so it's so static. It's it's not going to be possible to fe to feasibly make that world. But again, it's you were dealing with an omnipotent. William Lane Craig himself gives the example of what it would take to have to sovereignly administer D-Day. And, and what you would need to have um, Winston Churchill there and for, you know, what it would take to have his parents, uh, you know, make love to conceive Winston Churchill and, and to make sure she didn't stub her toe or trip on a rock or whatever his example is, right? The, mm -hmm. the, and that's just to get one person there for D-Day. You, you can't just say the probabilities are so high, therefore it's not feasible. We're talking about an omnipotent being. You can't say something's not feasible because it's improbable, even if it's wildly no, improbable, no. even if it's massively, inconceivably, incalculably improbable. We're talking about an omnipotent God. Yes, but I'm not saying God is unable to create creatures to freely, uh, to determine to save him. These, the truth values of who gets saved isn't up to God. If it was, then you're absolutely correct. I could no, no, no. reverse the same thing. And no, because remember, remember, remember your worldview your, your, your position, so is that God foreknows, remember, see now, now you're pulling free will out of the system and you're trying to, you're trying to, you're trying to bring it back a hundred steps, right? Remember your system says that God foreknows that if he creates some world P, that X number of people will freely believe in that situation. And so when God creates that world, when God actualizes that world, that number of people will freely believe. It's not coercion. I'm not saying that God has to coerce or quote unquote determine, although that is a biblical word, which we can get to the Bible in here in a little bit, right? 
you, you then can't say that my question somehow demands determinism because my question is the metaphysic is the same. The only thing that has changed is the number of people. You can't say because of free will because free will is baked into it in the exact same way that free will is baked into it's, what God foreknew about this world. It's a fact of the world that okay, he foreknew. Let, let, me, let me try it this way. It's, there's no logical contradiction in saying that God can create another God. That's, that's logically possible. There's no logical contradiction. There but is, actually. I, no, not in the – if you put that in a syllogism in a logical format, there's no contradiction in saying that God can create another God. There, there's that's not an a, absolute that's not a logical contradiction. That is no, gross. I'm sorry. That's gross. Okay. Heresy. That is God. That is, no, I'm not saying it's not heresy. Hold on. I'm not saying it's not heresy. I'm saying as far as logical possibility, there's nothing logical. There's nothing logically con. That, that's where I think that's where you're missing you, it. Is you're getting you can have two. You can have two omnipotent beings. I'm sorry. You can have two omnipotent beings. Let Let's not get into the details. I'm saying it is logically possible for God to create another God. It's not but because because God is an omnipotent part of the concept of God. Okay, let's say it's not an omnipotent being. I'm just saying God can create another God. Let's say that that, that other God is not omnipotent. I'm, so, I'm saying. So God can create another divine being. How about that? Okay, sure. Let's say that. But okay. is there any is there now that's a possible world, but I don't think he'd ever do it. And perhaps, like you said, maybe it's not feasible, or that, that's where I would say, okay, maybe it's not it's not feasible. But just because so something is is not is logically possible if and only if it is not there's no logical contradiction. There's no possible world in which God could create a married bachelor. That's but a logical you, contradiction. That's why. Right, right, exactly. So if you say something that's not a logical contradiction, it's possible, but maybe it's not actual because it goes against his nature, whatever, what, what have you. So just yep. because something is logically possible does not mean it's actual. So if God creates a world with X amount of people, it is up to them whether or not they want free people. It is up to them whether or not they want to respond to God's to salvation. So it but might that be that God is a fact of the world before yeah, he chose no, to I, I, I get I get this. I get this. But I'm saying let's let me speak in an anthropomorphic way. Of course, you know, like we already said, we all agree that God is necessarily omniscient. So if God sees his options, sees his cards and say, OK, it's logically possible to create a world in which everyone freely chooses to be saved. And then he looks at the cards he's dealt and says, ah, but there is no world in which everyone freely chooses. So now you go from strictly logically possible to what's feasible okay what world what will people do there is no world in which everyone freely is freely chooses based on x y and z whatever there is no world in which everyone freely chooses so he, he that that's what willem and craig would mean by he he um uh he, he's confronted with the cards that he's dealt you still there Owen, we can't we can't hear you, man. Owen's talking, but we can't hear you. Nothing, Owen. Unplug and plug your mic back in. The volume's up on his mic, so it's now you're now you're muted. Nope. Drop out and come back in real fast, man. I love technical difficulties. Right? <laughs>
Oh, he's hidden. Okay. Can you hear me now? Hello? Yeah, yeah now we can hear you. There you go. Excellent. Okay, so a couple questions on that. One, is God bound by probability? Because it seems to me that, for example, with the quarter example, in an infinite number of worlds, there is a world where that will happen. That it, like, that's just, that's within the, an atheist would have to agree with that. In an infinite number of worlds, as improbabilistic as it is, for example, coming back uh, from 25 to 3 in the Super Bowl, can happen. It can. You can flip a quarter enough times that it will come out heads 3 billion times in a row. Is God bound even worse than that probabilistic example? Like for, for an infinite number of worlds, is there not one in which everyone will freely choose? I mean, we're completely ignoring the fact that we're all born dead in sin. But I mean, I don't even know how this gets off the ground when you take that. So one, is God bound by probability? And two, if the, the constraining factor, Tyler, is this, God has to deal with the individual blocks that he's been given slash made. With those blocks, perhaps one of them will never accept God, ever, 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 ever. And so there is no feasible world in which that'll happen. There's a possible world. Why doesn't he just create new blocks? If he's the one who creates the blocks and he makes them such that they will respond in this way and that way, and if you say he doesn't make them that way, then who does make them that way? Something outside of, of God, something beyond God? So one, probability. Why is it possible for me to flip a quarter three billion times enough times in enough worlds and it will happen but it's not possible for god to actualize this particularly when as tyler said the mechanism is the exact same the mechanism for actualizing this world is the same as the mechanism for actualizing the other world now if you introduce the concept that well those blocks don't act the same way in the same circumstances why didn't he just create it or could he not have created different blocks that would have freely responded uh, in a world 100 percent of the people Oh, well, interesting thing you said. You talked about um, there, there may okay, like let's say there's a person who no matter what will never receive Christ. It's logically possible that he can receive Christ, but perhaps on his own accord, in any possible world, he won't choose to receive Christ. So there you have a logical possibility. That's probably not feasible. No, but it's not possible. If it's not possible, it's not possible. That's the thing. No, I, no, okay, you're 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 confusing something that's strictly possible and broadly possible. Well, you're conflating. Uh, and then no, why is God... You're doing. Right. Why is God not... So what, first of all, what's your definition of omnipotence? Uh, to do... To uh, actualize a state of affairs, it's logically possible. So, but you just said it's logically possible. Why don't you specify what kind of logical possibility? Well, Perhaps I did. that equivocation uh, would be cleared up. I, I did. Like, for example, here, here's a, a, a loose example, and, and of course... Okay, anyways, let's say, for example, I, let, let's say I will never go outside and eat dog crap. Let's just say I'll never do that. I'll never eat dog poop. Um, it's possible that I will, but let's say in any situation that God puts me in, I won't. I refuse to, no matter what the situation may be, you know, God forbid. But let's say I'll never do that. So it's logically possible that I can do that, but given my free will, I will never do that in any circumstance. So it's logically possible, but when it comes to talking about my free will, it's up to me, not God. So even though it's logically possible, it could also be the case that I'm never going to do it. But it's up to you, and so you will never do it. You said it yourself, right. your will is built in such a way that you will never do it, hence it's not no, possible. I didn't, I, didn't say, I didn't say my will is built in such a way. I'm saying I, I will never choose to do it. 
so exactly you will never choose to do it you will never choose to do it how is it right. possible then if you will never choose to do it this is a modal fallacy that you're committing just because i will fallacy. never do it doesn't mean i can't no okay let, let me let me give an illustration here uh when it comes to to, to modal fallacies we're talking about capacities essentially yeah, so you tried example, to lay this on tyler too we're not using modal fallacies we're talking about uh, well yeah, okay i i think we're not, I, we're not invalidating I think what, modal operators we're not i think what you just said I just think what you just said is a modal fallacy because, for example, if I, because you're confusing what will and what could. If I get an acorn and lay it on this table, if I put it, it has the capacity to grow into an oak tree. Now, if I never put it in the ground, it will never grow into an oak tree. But that is not to say it does not have the property of being able to grow into an oak tree, even though it never will. So just because something never will happen doesn't mean um, that that it's logically impossible or let me say it differently, just because it never will happen doesn't mean that it doesn't have the capacity to do so. So just because I will never do something doesn't mean I don't have the possibility of doing it. Yeah, but if I offer you that plate, then we essentially are planting the acorn and testing it out. I'm, I'm sorry? You, you're, you're saying that as if there was the acorns never planted in the ground, so it never has the possibility or never has the chance to turn into a tree, right? No, but you're no, being no. offered this plate of food. I'm not talking about the, the chance. I'm saying it has the property of being able to grow into an acorn. Okay. Just because so it never will doesn't mean it loses its property. Here's a subject that I think Monism really needs to clarify, and that is the decision-making capability. But before we move on to that, because it's, it's this bizarre thing where you're not, you're somehow separate from your desires or your inclinations or your intellect. And there's this, 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 I don't know, immaterial soul that is not attached. It does not have these properties and somehow is different than them and is influenced and affected by them. How can, how can that, I, I really want to discuss that, but I don't want to discuss that until we're free to move on from Tyler's examples of, possibility and, and, and feasibility depends what kind of freedom you're talking about but I'm <laughs> yours <laughs> Tyler, I'll, I'll do you, make, do you feel that you've given enough time to this objection or is there more that you would like to clarify yeah i, I mean i feel we should I, I, know, I know they're going to disagree but i don't think we've heard an answer of why they're any metaphysically different um if if that free will is again we're just we're focusing in he's right we are focusing on the narrow thing of belief but that's just a stand-in. We can say whatever makes the best possible world, I, I don't, I, a world with no evil, a world with no suffering, but has the exact amount of people. And, um, you know, I, I can always think of a world that's infinitely more whatever, right? I'm just using belief as a stand-in for that. If, if that is, if that is, if whatever that feature is, is baked in to the logical possibility and what God foreknows about it, then you can't, then, you can't then say our freedom can muck it up later on once he's actualized it, because those free choices are just part of the facts that God already knows. And so my problem comes around because basically what happens, and this is, this is where, this, this is where the claim of, of open theism, frankly, comes in. Because what you're saying, your, your acorn example, right? What you're saying is, I have the potential, right? God, God knows that in this actual world, I'm going to choose X. Let's say X is, I'm going to choose not to eat the dog crap. And, and you know, it, no, no matter the circumstance, I'm not going to choose to eat the dog crap 
in this actual world. All right. What you're saying is that I actually could choose, I have the freedom and the capacity to choose in this actual world to eat the dog crap once God has actualized it. Which means what you're saying is that I have the capacity to do other than what God foreknew. If I have the capacity to do, so if God knows X, if I have the capacity to do not X, what that means is I have the capacity to do other than what God knew. That's no, basic let me clarify. No, let me clarify for you. God okay. knows that I will do X, and He knows that I have the possibility of doing not X. So God knows that I won't eat the dog crap, and He knows that I could have if I wanted to. So that's not what God I'm saying. Knows, that's exactly. Right. That's why I'm clarifying it for you. I'm saying that God knows I will do X, and I can do not X. So you're confusing a, a, a what's called de facto. You're confusing what will happen with what could happen. That is the modal fallacy that you are committing. Yes, it is. Just That's because I will I not do it doesn't mean I don't man. have the possibility to do otherwise. Straw so, man. That's not even my point. No, you, no, because no, you brought up open theism. God I know knows. what my point is. Uh, well, okay, what, okay. Let's see. Let's see. Because, I don't think you because, do. because you're, you're, you're listening just to, to respond. You're not listening to understand. No. Okay. So, so, okay, fine. Then tell me. You tell me what my objection is. How, if you were in my chair, how do you get to open theism from what I just said? It sounds you, like I, you're saying, okay, look, okay, so here you can hear, that, that, that's good. This would be great to clarify because, okay. So it sounds like you're saying to me that if I can do other than what I will do, then God doesn't know the future. Is that what you're saying? Nope. Okay, then clarify for me. Then how does, okay, then explain how that leads to open theism. Just so, because I can do something else. How is that open theism? Are you going to listen to understand or only listen to respond? Hoping the first depends what God determines. Okay. That's very true, actually. <laughs> if what you're, what you're agreeing to, what you've conceded, is that in the actual world, I have the ability to choose something other than what God foreknows. Right. Something other than what. So if God foreknows that I am going to choose X and he actualizes the world in which he foreknows that I'm going to choose X, but he bakes into the world also my ability to do not X. Right. He might know that in this world I'm going to choose X. But what's going to happen. What, what is logically entailed by that is that he doesn't actually know that he knows in this world if this is the world where I freely exercise my ability to do not X. He can't know because, because the possibility to do something other than what God foreknows is part of my free choice, which is what you're making sovereign, right? My freedom because you're, this is, this is going to be a problem with your objection. My freedom is under your view to answer the feasibility question. You've pulled freedom out of the facts that are baked into the world before God makes it. And so my freedom can make the actions different than what God foreknows would happen. And so if that happens, my freedom could do anomalous things and I could freely choose to do other than what God foreknows. Now, it might 100% of the case be that at the time of that choice, God's knowledge is confirmed. And I always will choose, you know, whatever we choose will always be in line. 
but there is the possibility that based on my creaturely freedom that God has granted me, I will do not X. And not until the point in time where that choice happens can God know that his knowledge is correct. Now see, here's a, here is why I think, because see, I'm confused here, because in the beginning you said that we both agree that God does not look down the quarters of time to know things, that he knows these things necessarily. So I don't see, if you really think that I believe that, then I don't see how you would say uh, um, that just because I can do otherwise, God doesn't know it until he sees me do it or it's confirmed. But God doesn't need to confirm it. He knows these things necessarily. So do you not believe in a God? that can create a world in which I will do X and have the ability to not do X. So he knows what I will do and knows what I could do. I, I, surely you agree with that, right? That God no, knows. I, no, I agree. I believe in a God. This is, this is, by the way, this is the, the, uh, the, the objection, uh, the grounding objection um, that Johnny was getting to. I believe that God has uh, absolute omniscience because right. he's, because he's decreed what's going to happen in this world, right? He has exhaustive knowledge of this world because he's decreed that it's going to happen. Because, so uh, he only has omniscience because of his decree. So prior to his decree, he didn't know anything. Seriously? No, he, he has – he has. come on. No. Exactly. So, that's, that's what that, – all right. No, exactly. You're misunderstanding what I'm saying. Exactly. Let's just move – let's – No, no, no. Let's, don't let's, don't, let's don't dodge this. Do not dodge this. I, I'm not dodging. It's, it's yes, clear that this, I, is, that this is pointless. No, it's no. just that this line of reasoning is pointless. No, I'm asking for clarification. You're saying that God knows because of his decree. I'm yeah. saying God knows prior no. to his decree. What one is it? I'm clearing it because you have, again, this is about Molinism. It's not about sure, reform. You just made a statement. Though. You just brought up a statement, though, and I'm just asking for your clarification because and, and I believe it, in also. And it's a, and it's a, and it's irrelevant. You don't actually believe in a sovereign God. We can get really? to that. Really, because you're the one that said that God only knows it because of his decree. I had I had yeah. two questions. Yeah, that go ahead. Actually, yeah. Yeah, I asked two questions, Eric, that I didn't get an answer to. Uh, the first one is, is God bound by probability? If I'm not even bound by probability, given an infinite number of worlds, is God bound by probability? And two, if God is confronted with a block that, for example, will never accept him, why can he not have made different blocks that freely, 100% of the, in a world, 100% of them would freely have chosen? Why was, why was it not possible for him to create those blocks? Well, if well, I think you just answered your own question. If someone's never going to choose Christ, then there's nothing Christ can do to make him choose. I mean, it, it, you kind of just answer your own question. But is that person eternally existent? Because God chose to create him. Why create him at all then? It's logical. Well, well, there's a world where 100% of the people believe. It's just that individual isn't in it, but that individual isn't pre-existent. I, I don't get how that's... I don't get how that's relevant, but if we're saying that if there's a person who will never choose Christ, then it's not up to Christ to uh, for uh, to, to make this person choose. So why could he not have just not created that person? Create a different okay, well, person. Okay, create right. a different well, set of cards. If, is he really? He are these cards external to him, or does he create them? And if he does create them, why could he not have created different cards? Ex what do you mean? Are they external to him? Well, you just said there's a person who might not ever choose Christ, and God, right. Christ can't make him choose, right? Well, then just don't create that person. Create well, a different well, well, one on. so there would okay. be a world. You're making the mistake that Tyler, mistake, that Tyler made. You're only focusing on – I haven't even said it. You can't say no. You're only focusing on one specific factor. It could be the case that my salvation was because of a ripple effect of this person who would never choose. So don't so create it, you. 
Don't create you, don't create that other person. Create right, a different yeah. set of six billion cards. Sure, and then you change everything else. That's the point of Molinism, no, rather than knowledge. But you that, end up with that logical possible world. You can end up with that logical possible world by creating different cards. Right, and there may not be a card in which everyone freely chooses without other circumstances. That's the point. That's the so point it's of possible. So God then really is bound by... Human. I don't even know what you mean by bound, but if you're saying that God uses our free choices, and sure, but I want to call that bound. No, no, it's so once God creates this this thing, this soul, this individual, uh, he he has no he he has no predictive power over what's it going to do before he creates it, or predictive he does. Power. He's does, on does mission. God he knows what this thing's going to. Okay, does God yes. know what this soul is going to do before he creates it? Absolutely. Then don't create it. Why not? Well, because it doesn't fit into the world in which 100% of people believe. See, the thing is, Tyler's logical possible, that it is logically possible to create a world where 100% of people believe. We all agree that's logically possible. You say it's not feasible, but the reason you say it's not feasible is because God is stuck with these particular cards. And I'm saying, why can't he re-deal himself or deal himself from the beginning different cards, cards because, that would fit into that logical possibility? Because it's, po okay, you have cards that, and we're going back to this, I'd, I'd like to move on to something else because I, I of course, we're just going to have to agree to disagree at some point. There are a certain amount of cards that are strictly logically possible. God can create another God. That's strictly logically possible because there's no contradiction in it. And then you have a narrowing of cards that are feasible. Then you have a narrowing of cards that are actually feasible. So there, there might, although it's logically possible that everyone will freely choose, it might be the case that everyone doesn't freely choose. So, God, so there's an, that's not an option in God's deck of cards, yes. The cards are the people, not the possible worlds. Just in the just to keep the analogy straight, the cards are the people. Okay, Correct. well that's not what Craig refers to when he talks about the cards. But okay, but what I just said in, in what I just said that that's that's the point there. Well, it, they yeah, are. He, not, says, he says creaturely counterfactuals. Those are the cards that he's dealt. So well, so it is the, the people. Creaturely but, counterfactuals. Okay. Those, fine. Let's, let's talk about blocks. Let's call them building okay. blocks. Could he not build a world with different building blocks? Sure, but that changes everything. Right, but it, it could create that logically possible world. It would be different. Not if it's not, not if not if okay if if people if there's a if there is no world in which everyone chooses salvation, then God cannot create that world because there is no world in which everyone chooses. But it's logically possible. In the strict sense, yes, just like it's logically possible that God can create another God. Well, we disagree that that's logically possible, but okay. so it's not logically, so God, it's not logically possible for God to create a set of souls that would freely choose him. I, we, I, we, we've I've already answered this. We, I think okay. we should move on to something else. <laughs> okay, then what about the probability argument? If you can flip a quarter three billion times and there is a, there is a possible world in which those three billion are heads, why is God not able to do that? He, he can flip a coin. And but, that example, because also, but that example was given to why God couldn't create a world of 100%. This is just analogous because quarters don't have freedom. Well, it, it's Johnny's analogy. Yeah, it's Go ahead, Johnny. I haven't mean, spoken in a while. That's right. Well, I mean, obviously a coin is 50-50 chance of head to tail. When you have a free will, it's demonstrably many more factors. I didn't mean probability in the strictest sense. All I was trying to use it as a metaphor saying that Yes, God. If God created one person, then they'd really freely choose Christ, and that's a hundred percent. And so He can actualize the world. But the more people you have, the more decisions they're going to make. For example, if I lived, let's say it wasn't for a person I knew, and that's the only way I could get saved, 
God couldn't put me somewhere else in a different country because I'll never get saved because I need this one person for whatever reason for me to get saved. So you can't just plug one person out, plug someone else back in because they might be interlinked in some way, like Eric said. His salvation could have been because of this particular person. Not that they didn't save him, but for that particular person planted the seed and God did the growing. Now, of course, that's where we differ between free will and determining. I'm very glad you brought that up. I'm very glad you, because I would actually contend that put me in any different circumstances and I'm a different person. So, which you're is my question about the anthropology. Person. I am a different person. If no, my name is different, I'm different. If I'm born in a different family, I'm different. If I'm born in New York instead of Los Angeles, you can't I'm be different. born in different. Now we're getting into the philosophy of mind. You can't be born no, in a I'm different. I'm a different person if any no, of the not. circumstances of me have changed. No, now we're talking about identity. So, and if I was born in a first century Jewish family, I would be the same person. Well, first of all, let's not even go there because you are only capable of being born if your parents, if you have the same parents. If you have different parents, you, you can't exist. That, that's it. But we're getting to the traducing view of the soul. And let's not go there. I have a question for you guys. Which God is more sovereign? A God that has to force people to do things or a God that can use people's freedom in order to accomplish his ends? We, we both hold Neither. a compatibilistic freedom. So we're, the, we the, both, the, you're creating a false dichotomy. No, no, I'm asking a question. It's not a false dichotomy. I'm asking which of those two, which which God is more sovereign, a God that that has to use people who He determines to act, or a God that can use? Well, why does He have to use people? We're not we're not saying that that's not. So yeah, and sovereignty just means that God is an absolute authority. So that both of those would be equally sovereign because they could both be equally sovereign over those. Okay, wait, let, let's what, what you're trying to say is which one would be quick question. more ethical? No, no, sir. Which? Go ahead, Johnny. Just quickly, just for the, is it, is it towards, um, is it possible that God created people with libertarian free will and have the exact same uh, endpoint that the actual world of this actual world be? So is it possible that God make creatures with libertarian free will have the exact same outcome as this actual world? Is that possible? Or does he need to determine everyone's actions to get to this point? Again, we're not fideists. We're both compatibilists. So we both hold to a freedom of the will. We just don't hold the libertarian freedom of the will. Oh, I know. That's what I'm asking. Is it possible for God to create this actual world with libertarian free will creatures and still meet the ends? Or does he have to use a compatibilist free will? Is it possible to chuck out compatibilist free will and use libertarian? Is it possible for him to do that? Well, I think libertarian freedom entails contradictions, so I'm going to say no. I'd like to hear that. Well, that's interesting. I, so you're saying we've shown. I think it shows. I think it entails contradictions to God's omniscience, omnipotence, omnibenevolence to His society. I mean, I think. It, so, okay, because so I can if, freely choose on, otherwise. On that point, so you're saying God cannot know. <laughs> I would know what you what, choose. Yeah. So God cannot know what a person with libertarian free will would choose. That's a logical contradiction. Therefore, God cannot be omniscient in a world where there's libertarian free will Christian creatures. Yeah, because if my freedom entails that I could do other than what, so no, if I could do other it. than what God foreknows, but he, you whatever can't. That's I, the whole point of being omniscient. Right. Whatever I no, no, do, no, God no, will know. Because, because remember, God has His knowledge because of what I do. That's that's the point that you're missing. You said that. You, remember, go back to if you go back. If I brought up my screen again, we're going to go back and we're going to say libertarian freedom is pulled out of what's if it's pulled out of one of the facts of the world that God knows beforehand, right? Libertarian freedom is pulled out, and so it says that that world isn't feasible to create because if God created it, our free will would kick in and some of us would sin. 
And he would know that. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with God knowing yeah, what the, the free will kicks in before his decree, not after his decree? I'm going to share my screen again. I don't want to see your screen. You and you I even said earlier. What, what I, well, so, I no, this is this here it is. So this earlier here it is. Not, here. Jokingly, jokingly, in these, I said, in these worlds, in these worlds right here, God knows what we will freely believe, and so He creates that world, and then therefore the fact of that world is actualized. For some reason, for you guys, when we talk about universal freedom. Free will gets pulled out of this where God foreknows it. And you say, no, 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 that God, that world can't be actualized because free will. Because and people we, don't want you know, to. We might freely believe. We might, you know, some of us might freely not believe. Well, that, again, no, God no, because, because exactly. So our freedom, our free choices of universal belief would be what God foreknew before he actualized right. Right, and he yeah, also knew awesome. that that would never happen. Great. Great. He, he knew no, no, that would never happen. If, if God he knew that it could happen, but he knew that no. it would never happen. That's the point that, that you're makes, making. I could that be a transsexual, you, but I would never do that. Right, and that, that, that makes, was my point about the dog no. too. And what because I find interesting is that your knowledge, your free actions are already part of what God for you're saying. Yes, I'm saying, God, but, and it's I'm not saying feasible because what God foreknows, God foreknows, He foreknows. If he creates W, if he creates this world, a hundred percent of us will believe. What you're saying is, oh, but 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 that can't happen because if freedom, not all of us would believe. And so you're saying, if God actualized the world, it's not feasible because if he actualized that world, our freedom would kick in and we would do other than what God foreknows before he actualized it. You're yeah, I wanna, I wanna a hear... different metaphysic. Okay, that's fine. I want to hear what you think about libertarian free will and why you think it's 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 contradictory. Because jokingly, I said it depends what God determines, and you said yes, you're right. If that's the case, then not every, all of this is pointless. Like I've said before, if God has already determined everything, and you cannot change my mind. You did not freely become a Calvinist. I did not freely choose to believe in Molinism. And if you're trying to change my mind, and God has determined that my mind will not be changed, you are going against the will of God. Which is which is I'm sorry a. Re Ridiculous false dichotomy. You said it yourself. You say whatever God determined. How is that a false because dichotomy? You're you're working on this idea that determinism always entails fatalism, and that no, in order to have freedom, it must be libertarian freedom. And if I say it determines, it must mean we're little we're little fideistic robots. What do you mean by determines? It's, it's just a horrible false dichotomy. That's an assertion. That's a good Terrible assertion, but you have to back that up. You have to back that up. I just showed that it's a false dichotomy because yeah, that's not it's false dichotomy. You, you said either A or B, and I showed you that there's C, D, E, and F. There, there's no, you did there's not. compatibilistic, there's soft compatibilism, there's hard I said compatibilism. Either libertarian freedom or not libertarian freedom. That's not a false dichotomy. But if you said it's not libertarian freedom, therefore there's no point in debating about these things because it's already been completely determined. And there's that's like saying if God's predetermined you to eat, therefore you if God's determined for you to have food in your belly, therefore you don't need to eat. Yeah, and this the, is a discussion see, of no, hold, on, hold on, I want to say yeah, that. I, I want to touch. No, wait, wait. I want to touch that point. No, no, I want to touch that point because Side Ten brought that up with me, and and I, I replied to that. He didn't say anything. If God determines that I'm going to have a full stomach, then you're absolutely correct. I don't have to eat because His decree does not depend on my human actions or will. So if God declares you're going to have a full stomach, you don't have to eat, Tyler, because you your works do not help God's decree. God declares the ends and the means. Okay, and that's the point then. If God has declared all that and determined that, 
then everything, then it's pointless to try and convince me otherwise of what God has determined. Tyler, real quick, uh, yeah. someone asked if you could define fideism. Fideism is is basically the idea that we are we are little automatonic robots that we have no free will whatsoever that we're just completely acting out based on programming. Think of materialistic determinism where we're we're just <laughs> dancing to our DNA, as Dawkins would say. Um, it's just theological determinism is is going to be a, that type of thing. So that, and how that's would that and how would that be different than your belief of compatibilism? Compatibilism is the idea that my my I, I still have a freedom of the will. I still choose. I just choose in line with my desires and my nature. And what are your <laughs> desires and nature? There's different factors um, that determine what I'm going to do, right? So then so, you're not free if you're determined, right? I, th exactly. This is by the this is by the way. This is how Molinism ends up in the exact same situation. No. Yep. Now we're yep. talking about libertarian yep. freedom, not yep. monism. We're not talking about monism. Listen, listen. Uh, if God actualizes this world, so so you're going to say, "Well, I'm always going to choose based on this situation." Who put you in that situation? I'm sorry. If if you're if you're going to say, "Well, I have libertarian freedom," but God knows that I'm always going to do X in situation Y, who put you in situation Y? Well, you just asked, you just changed the question. I didn't God change the question. Yes, let me show you how. Let me show you now. And, and, and first of all, if I'm not mistaken, fideism is the belief that everything depends on blind faith. I, I've never heard fideism defined as the way you did. Yeah, but. that's a different definition. Eric, I'm with you. That's the definition that I know. This is a second definition. Okay. Unrelated. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, I'll look it up later. I'll, I'll take his word for it. Um, God puts me in a situation, but I freely choose. I, I don't know what, what, what's wrong with that. Did God actualize this world knowing that you, if he put you in situation Y, you would freely choose X? Choose, libertarianly free cho freely you, choose X, sure. Does he know that if he ever put you in this situation that you would choose differently? I'm sorry? Does, does he know if... Is, is, there, is there a world where... He, is, there, is there a possible world where everything is exactly the same with respect to your current situation where you would freely choose differently? Yeah. Is there a situation where you would freely choose to eat the dog crap? Yeah. That which undermines your example earlier. No, I no, you, you no. Let, let's you're using an example in which I said I would never do it. But let's say a, a gun was pointed. That was a hypothetical example. It wasn't saying what I would do. But yeah, there's a there's a situation where I can do that. In other words, if a gun was put to my wife's head and said, "You better eat the dog crap," then yeah, I'm gonna eat the dog crap. But I'm saying hypothetically, if I were to never do it, no matter what, then God couldn't force me to. Be before the creation of the world, God knew that if you were put in situation Y, you would definitively choose X if he actualized the world. Yes? Sure, but careful because I don't so who put the you in the fallacy. Who put you, it's not the modal fallacy. I'm not I saying, I'm, I'm I'm saying, saying, not saying that. Be careful of not oh, being inconsistent. Well, who put you in situation Y? Right, so you're, you're going to say the problem is, well, who gives your desires? Who gives your yeah, nature? Exactly, Therefore, right. God's determined. Okay, fine. Who put you in situation Y, knowing that if he put you in situation okay, Y, let, you would let, choose Let's X. talk about this. Let, let's talk about this. Like I said in the last show, there are two conditions for libertarian freedom, which I would argue is the only genuine freedom. One is that and you have to wrong. be the – well, okay, that's fine. One, you have to be the first mover to your actions. 
And two is you have to have the dolability to do or refrain from more appropriately to will or refrain from willing. So it's not just about the action. It's about the will. You said you have freedom of the will. You don't have freedom of the will. You have the freedom to act on your will, but your will is determined. You cannot, you are not the first mover of your actions. Like I said last time, which you just dismissed and you didn't respond to, if your desires necessarily determine your actions and God gives you your desires, then whatever determine your desires, determine your actions, which means God is the one that controls and makes you do what you do. You're just an intermediate link in the chain. You do not have free will. You are not the first mover and you cannot do otherwise. That is not genuine freedom. Then you don't have genuine freedom on Molinism. Okay, we're we talking about libertarian freedom or Molinism. Both. You don't have libertarian freedom on Molinism. And and how is that? I'm the first mover of my actions. Just because God no, knows not. it doesn't God, mean I'm not. God actualized the world in which you would do X. But I'm he the one that he could have actualized. I'm, nope. I'm the nope. first. He mover. could have actualized the world when in which you did not X. And, and then I would you still would be the first X. mover. I would still be the first mover. No, his creating. His creating the first world mover? is what determined it. What moved me? He's determined your choices. He's con he's what put you me? in a situation where your choices okay, are going let, to be what he. Let Let's ask this then. Let's ask this then. Please. If that is libertarian freedom, then how is God sovereign? In what because way is God knows, sovereign? In that case? Yeah, you're confusing the questions again. God is, knows everything necessarily. I'm not confusing my own questions, man. Yeah, no, I didn't. It's a blanket. It's a blanket error. You keep saying I'm not confusing yes, my own questions. Are you confusing omniscience with whether or not I can do something? That's God not my question. Necessarily. I just asked, how is in that situation then, where where God doesn't predetermine you in any way by actualizing this world, that God is in no way a determining factor on your decision. Well, well, everything is structured by based on our our autonomous human freedom. How then, in what concept is God sovereign? In what way is God sovereign then? Because He knows what world to actualize. No, that's how God's omniscient. How is God no. sovereign? You, you said sovereignty is God is in control, right? He is able to use our free actions and decisions to bring about his ends. That's how he's how sovereign. Does, how In does your he view, use he can only actions? do that by forcing us. How does he use your free actions? By, by placing uh, you in circumstances. Sure. He knows so what I'll do. So and then you're not the first mover. God placing you in the circumstances <laughs> is the first mover. No, no, no. Okay, look. When I proposed to my wife, I set up the circumstances. She made the decision. She was the first mover, even if I put her in the circumstances. So just because God places me in my circumstances doesn't mean he forces me to act. He doesn't move me. I move myself. It, let, okay. If God created world, a world in which he knew you would do X, he sets a ball rolling. Once that ball hits that spot, you will only do X. Whether or not you do it based on freedom or whatever, you're within that chain. You will only do X. You will not do not X. You will only do X. He could have created a different world where he created, where he started a different ball rolling. And by the time it got there, you would do not X. Can you, can you tell me what you find wrong with my two conditions of libertarian freedom or why you think I'm not the first mover by first mover? I mean, nothing external to me causes me to move. If are I'm your, pushed, are your desires external to you? I don't even know what that means by, by my desire. Your circumstances, I your circumstances are external to you. Yeah, but my circumstances don't force me. I choose. In other words, my desires don't determine my actions. They're not sufficient to determine my actions. They influence my actions, but I choose to act on my desires. Because that's your strongest desire. No. But we I can't, How would you even know what my strongest desire is? How do you because know? Because it's the one you, how do you, know, the one you act on. 
which is question begging because you it's cannot not question know begging. I showed this before. No, no, no. What's your that, ultimate authority? No, no, hold on. Let me tell you why. When it because here now we're talking about philosophy of mind. This is my strongest suit. This isn't actually philosophy comes, of mind, but okay. Yes, it is because the only way you cannot know my mental states. Only I can. Okay. That is called first-person private access. That is a property of the mind. My mental states are only accessible to me, which means only I know which one of my desires are strongest. And you cannot say simply because you did X, that was your strongest desire. Why? Well, because that's what you did. Well, why, why is that my strongest desire? Because you would not – that's question begging. I know my strongest desires better than anyone else does. You do not know my mental states better than me. You mm -hmm. cannot say you know which of uh, my mental states is my strongest desire. We often don't know our own desires until after the fact. Correct. If, if you don't know that about yourself, I'm just going to say you're not reflective enough on your own nature. No, that makes, no, no, first of all, I'm saying that you cannot know my mental states better than I do. That's true. That's it, true. Was a royal, it was a royal you. I'm not talking about you specifically. Right. Well, no, I, I know that. No, I'm saying what you just said is irrelevant to what I'm saying. So I just reiterate what I'm saying. No one can know my mental states more than I do. So if I, if I know that my strongest desire is X and I do something else, you would not be able to know whether or not that was true. The Other fact that you didn't do it shows that it wasn't your strongest desire. It was, it was subsumed to a different desire. That, no, no, that's question begging. Because it's not you're question saying, begging. It's definitional. Your strongest desire, I act on my strongest desire. How do I know it's my strongest desire? Because that's what I did. Well, why did I do it? Because it was my strongest desire. Well, how do so I know it's my strongest desire? Because what I did. It's circular. So your weaker, desires, your weaker desires sometimes determine over a stronger desire? A weaker desire? No, will... no my desires, let me say it again, and I'll say it slower. My desires do not determine my actions. They may influence my actions, but I choose to act on my desires. Can Nothing you, is sufficient to determine my actions. Can you tell me an action that you freely did without any desire in, with determining That's it? That's not my point. My point is I choose to act on which desire I want. I'm not saying desires are completely irrelevant, which is what you think I'm saying. I'm saying my desires are not sufficient to cause my actions. That is libertarian free will. On your view, desires necessarily, your strongest desire necessarily cause your action, and you cannot do otherwise. Your desires come from God. Therefore, God is the one that makes you act. You do not yeah. have genuine freedom. Your, sit you your situation, and I would say on Molinism, you don't have genuine freedom because your situation is determined by your actions. Why are you changing the subject? God, We're talking about compatibilism. Can I you're, jump you're in on a few points? Sure, Johnny. Please do. Uh, Sorry, Johnny. Firstly, maybe, maybe you can fare better. Yeah. <laughs> Circumstances do not determine your action. That's point one. So even I, I think from what well, I know, I when I first heard of Molinism, I had Tyler's point. For example, if God knew Pharaoh would um, sin in the circumstances C, therefore why isn't God accountable, knowing He would do X? And if He didn't place him in C, did He have to do it if He was not in C? And first of all, these circumstances are freedom permitting. Now, in a sense, it is. Um, I wouldn't even say possible, but you could think of God using middle knowledge. For example, if God wanted sin to occur at this particular time, he knew I would do it. He could put me in circumstances willing that I'd sin, but God can't even do that because James 1.13 said that God doesn't even tempt us. So he doesn't will for us to sin, but because you want to do it, fine. So what I'm trying to say is circumstances aren't deterministic. They're influential. I've been in many times circumstances where I could lust, and I'm thinking, no, I'm not going to do that, so I'd move myself away. Uh, furthermore, for another question, if libertarian free will is a contradiction and God cannot do contradictions, does that mean God doesn't have libertarian free will? No, I don't think God has libertarian free will. I think God has compatibilistic free will. He acts in, and, and this is actually my question for you. Does God have libertarian freedom or, or does he act according to his desires and his nature? 
Okay, in a sense, we don't mean libertarian free will that we can do anything. I can't fly. So in a sense, we are limited in freedom because I can't fly, I can't do X, Y, Z. That's not what I'm, that's yeah. what I'm saying. But, but, but his definition, his categories, God doesn't meet those. God doesn't meet those. God acts based on his desires. And, like and if I you're saying for us, yeah, sorry. Go, go. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying, um, yeah, I see what you're saying, but you know, we're when we're talking about libertarian freedom. We're not talking about just the action. We're talking about the will. So, so to just slightly disagree with Johnny, but I get what you're saying. You know, even though I can't fly I mean, like a bird, I can still will to fly like a bird, and, and I get what you're saying. Yeah. So no, in a sense, right. that if you, yeah. So in regards to desires, yeah, of course we are influenced by our desires. Right, and, and I'm saying, and I would also say that we're disanalogous from God because I can do things God can't. So can you? So, so I think using God as an example would not be a good analogy. Um, so, wait, just hold on. Can you clarify? Are, are you saying we're more free than God? No, I'm saying we can sin. So, typically, yes. <laughs> you just said we we could freely do things more than God could do. No, I said there's things we can do that God can't. I can learn. God cannot. Yeah, and I can sin, and God cannot. Right. So, in a sense. So, if I can go back to what I was saying. So, so, so can, can, wait, 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 let's, let's clarify that. Can, can God will to sin? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I would, I'd want to say no, but again, I would say we're not analogous to God. So, so using God as an example, when it, when it be a, a fair play, if, so, if I so want to be, a, if I want to, so if I want to, if I want to be a better Christian, because we can will it and God's and not as free because he can't, because his, because his, again, because he can't analogous, this is disanalogous. If I want to be a better Christian, can I do so? If I want to be a better Christian, can I do so without God willing it, or does God have to will my level of spirituality? Or, or in other words, the level of spirituality that you're at, the maturity level of spirituality that you're at, can you do anything different, or is it based on what God wants? Both. We're compatibilists. So God wants not, you to be where you're at, and you can't do otherwise, right? I'm not— you can't be a better Christian God, if you God, want to. God determined this world to be sovereign based on your decision for X. So you okay, can't right. do that. So, I mean, the, okay, so, this, so you can't. Is, if, if God, so God determined that I'd be a Molinist. Is that right? In this world. I, in this in this world, yeah. That's your view. God determined. God determined to create no. the world that we should be a Molinist. No, no, no. No one's blaming I, I really you. Chose. No I, one's blaming you to, for being a Molinist. That, really, I don't know because this entire conversation is under the assumption that we freely choose to accept the positions that we're in and sure. that we could have chosen otherwise and that we can choose otherwise. Otherwise, it'd be pointless to have this discussion. So that is libertarian freedom. On your view, I can't be a better nope. Christian, even if I wanted to, if God doesn't determine that. God, God uses means, and conversations are one of the means that God uses. Right. Uh, well, certainly well, has on. in my life. Hold on, hold on. And, 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 on, your, and on your view, you're exactly where God determined you to be and created the world to have you be exactly where you're going to be. 100%. God saw, no, God saw what I would do. And he created a world knowing what I would do, and he uses what I do. But I do so freely. Right. And so, he so he determined the world to get you exactly this point where you're at. So you're so doing exactly what he's decreed you to he do. Manipulates the the he the manipulates the situation to get you to the ends that he wants. So, for example, if you have a rat at the beginning of a maze, and he wants to get to the end of the maze, you getting you to the end of the maze is simply putting obstacles in front of you that would be circumstances that 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 influence the way that he knows you're going to choose and so he will get you to the end of the maze by putting up these circumstances and directing let's, you through the maze let's use that example one the rat could choose to not move at all two the rat can freely do so and i don't want to get into animal freedom but let's just okay the rat can choose to freely do so so sure that would be libertarian freedom 
However, on the Calvinistic view, God grabs the rat in a second order sense, and he's the one moving the rat the entire time. That's the difference between your view and mine. God is moving the rat in some Not sense. On me, I'm moving myself. Yes, it is, because if God gives you your desires and no, your desires not. cause your action, then God is the one causing your actions. You're just an intermediate link. I've said this many times. I, I, don't I know you've said it. Hey, Owen. Owen, is that your view? No, that is not my view. Nope, really? Okay. View do, do your desires cause your actions? What our view is irrelevant, yes no. actually. Yes or no? We're still talking yes about Mormonism. Do your desires. I, I, I act on my desires. We're I talking act about on my desires. Freedom. Do they cause? Do they necessarily cause your actions? Yes or no? I act on my strongest desire. Correct. Yeah, that's not my question. Do your okay? Do that's your strongest desires necessarily cause your actions? Well, it, I, I, this is the thing. I don't understand my desires as being something separate from me. That that's part of the problem. That it always has been. Well, then, well, then you don't understand the law of identity. You are not identical to your desires. You have desires, but you are not identical to your desires. No, you're you're identical. Identical. They're not a part of me. Are you okay, identical to yourself? No, no, I'm not identical to my will. So, so then you're so then you're moved by because, an external force. Correct. No, 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 no. Okay, let, let's talk about this because now we're again we're it, talking about the soul. Why is it not for your desires to determine, but not for your for your Let will to determine, or for your reasons to determine? One question at a time. We're not going to do this. Well, one question one, at a time. Okay. One, why one, is one, it? Let me answer that. I'd, ra I'd rather this question. I this, haven't I'd rather this question. question. Well, I'm nixing my own question. I'd rather this question. Go ahead. Why? Why is it that it's bad for your desire to determine your action, but it's not bad for your reason to determine your actions or your I never will said to determine my your desires actions. determine my actions. I've, I've said that clearly my desires do not determine I said, my actions. Why is it bad for your re your desires to determine your actions, I'm not but it's it. not bad? So what does determine your actions? I choose to. So what determines what you choose? I, I It's a basic action where I choose on my own accord I move, and I choose to act on my desires. It's not a matter what, of nothing. What determined. feature? What what part of you does the acting? Does the decision making? Well, well, first let's talk about what I am. I am identical to my soul. I am a soul that has a body. I'm not my body. I'm a soul that has a body. So I'm not identical to my body. I'm also not identical. Are y'all familiar with the law of identity? Uh, uh, I am. Uh, there's a, a certain set of essential necessary attributes that I have to have that makes me a person. That is my nature. Without these things, I'm no longer a person. Now, when it comes to personal identity, there are certain things that make me who I am. So if my will changes, I'm still the same person. That's why I'm not identical to my will. If my desires change, I'm still the same person. That's why I'm not identical to my desires. That's something y'all failed to understand because y'all are going into into uh, uh, views of the soul and, and philosophy of mind, and, and, and that's just... You're, oh. you're missing identity. Oh, and are you saying that you're identical to your desires? Uh, I am absolutely not saying that. Yeah. Then so why did you ask me if I was not? You just said, are you not? Are you not your desires? Are you not your no, will? No, no, no. Are no. they not a part of you? They are sure, a part of. But that's me. different than identity. They're a part so of I me. I never claimed to be my desires. I never claimed that. I never claimed to be my me, desires. Then why did you ask me something like, are you not your will? Are you not your uh, desires? Are you, no, no, no. Are your desires not a part of you? Sure, but that's not what you asked. So then they're not an external force acting upon you. Right. Correct. That's but all we're asking. If it's a causal that, chain, hold on. Okay, I see where you're going. If there's 10 cars and the 10th car hits the ninth, these cars in the middle were not the first movers. They were links in a chain. They were moved by the first car. The, the, the original car was the first mover. All the other were intermediate. If your desire causes your action, necessarily and if god gave you your desires then he's that car moving 
and you are not the first mover and you cannot do otherwise or will otherwise. That okay. is why it's not genuine freedom. Fantastic. Then on Molinism, you have nine cards and you have you and you have your will and you have your desires and you have your situation and you have the, the world that God put you in and you have God actualizing that world. And so God is the first card. And so you're not the actual prime mover. How does God, God move is me? the prime mover. How does God move? Show me, show me where there God moves me. God makes it, the world and I move. It, in, in this world where you choose X. Uh-huh. Right. Did God choose it knowing that you would choose X? He knew that I would be the first well, mover to choose X and I could have done otherwise. Yep. Well, then, you're, then you're begging. The, I love how you accuse us of begging question and then you beg the question explicitly. He oh, knew no, exactly you, my true answer. At that point, let's just let's just move on from this because no, if you're, if you're gonna do that, there's, hey, no, Johnny, do you, have, to this. do you have anything to add to that? Because yeah, I'm not. I, yeah, Johnny, you're at you're at. You know what? <sighs> um, firstly, just because God actualized us in a certain circumstances doesn't mean we have to act accordingly. He just knows it. So the question would be, I think, for both of us, to be fair. I'm not posing this question to you to answer because this will go for both of us. If an atheist comes to us and goes, if God knew you would sin, for example, creating Hitler to sin, why isn't he held responsible? response is, well, just because he knows it doesn't mean, A, uh, that that's been determined because the truth value of that counterfactual is uh, true prior to his decree, and B, he knows it doesn't mean he willed it. Now, if, you, if people argue God could use middle knowledge in order to sin because he knows we will sin, then... That's not God. It's possible that Satan would put me in circumstances knowing that he wants me to sin, therefore I will sin. That's his desire for me to sin. But we know in James 1.13, God doesn't tempt us. So God to be some monstrosity tyrant would never do that. So he puts us in, uh, in circumstances when we're still free. They're freedom permitting. So I don't have to perform X. He just knows I will. He knows I, I could not, but he knows I will not. There's a big difference. And that's why we can be held accountable for sinning. So I actually have a question on that being held accountable for sinning. How is it, because this, it's clear that Molinism is a theodicy. The system is set up to answer how does, how does God hold man responsible for sin? That's clear. Now, how can I be held responsible for sin then? And this, this touches on the prime mover. If in, in one world, I freely choose to accept God because of the certain circumstances that I've been put in. In that world, I freely choose to accept God. Uh, in this other world, I freely choose to deny God, again, based on the world that he, was, that he has actualized. So here you have me, and we're assuming this sort of free-floating uh, individual that, that we've been discussing in the monistic worldview. Uh, in one world, I do choose God and, and, and gain eternal life. And in another world, I reject God and go to hell. How can I then be responsible, held responsible for rejecting God if in different circumstances I would freely of my own nature, and, well, not nature, my own will chosen God? Well, it depends if, uh, I'm not saying it's a different topic, but there's a topic called transworld donation. So there's some people that would never choose him. So perhaps, and this is a, it's not part of moralism per se, but there's possible people that aren't saved would have never been saved uh, in any actual, no matter where they put them in. So practically wherever God, I think Acts 17 says God places us in in order to get his uh, plan out. Similarly, everyone that's saved would have been saved in certain circumstances and therefore he's used them accordingly. So, okay, so I understand transworld trans depravity. What, so there's no one that in this world is damned that would have been saved in a different world. That's not part of, just so I can put a disclaimer, um, mm -hmm. that is a possibility, but it's not part of Molinism. It's like a small 
philosophy. I know William Lane Craig adheres to it, but I'm just putting that out there just to inform you that is a possibility. It's not Molinism per se. So then, Johnny, doesn't that go back to Owen's original question where couldn't God just make different blocks? Where, like, like there, there, you have you have these one billion blocks that are trans world damned. Why create those blocks? Why not just create a different system with different blocks that none of them are trans world damned and and everyone would like? Why be stuck with those static blocks? Why not just create a different one? Yeah, because uh, first of all, the essence of the block, for example, um, it doesn't determine whether he accepts or rejects. And the question is, why would God? You remember God even Romans nine. If you want to try to bring that up, and Pharaoh, etc. If God knows people are going to sin, He's going to put people in those circumstances to in order to make His purposes known, to make His glory known. He doesn't determine people to sin. He can't. It's impossible. If He can't tempt us, how's He going to determine people to sin? Even moving their will is the Thomas, the Thomistic version of divine concurrence. So what I'm trying to say is that if God knew, knows that if He was going to create a world of six billion people, the sin is inevitable. He's going to use individuals who would freely do it rather than making one. What about Acts 4, 27 to 28? Can you post that, Calvin Klein, please? While he's posting that, I have a different question for you then, Johnny. Mm. Is, it, is it possible that there are evils, there are sins, there are suffering um, that exist within the world just as a necessary byproduct of our freedom? They don't have any redemptive value. Um, they don't. Um, they don't bring anyone to salvation. Um, they don't bring God any extra glory. They are just a, a byproduct of the fact that that our libertarian freedom is such a good um, that God was willing to have these evils unleashed onto the world. Right? Is it is it possible then that there are evils, there are rapes, there are tortures, there are murders? Um, that just exists because God needed to get free will into the system. So basically any evil that doesn't glorify God or doesn't go towards his purpose? Within this world, yeah. No, I would say every single evil act in some form, whether we see it now temporarily or many years to come, is used for God's glory, as Romans 8.28 dictates. So there's yeah. no evil that's just like, okay, it's useless. Practically, every evil has its purpose. So, so then, how do you get there, right? How do you how do you get? Couldn't couldn't it? It seems to me that if you're going to say, well, the, these worlds where there's universal salvation, right? Those aren't feasible for God because of libertarian freedom, right? Because because the probabilities are so incalculable that even God can't do it. My question then is, okay, that's not what he said. It's not probability. I wasn't using probability. Close. I was using it more of a metaphor. I'm not saying probability. Okay. I'm saying the truth about it is that the counterfactuals do not exist. Then I'm borrowing yeah. your same. Then I'm borrowing your same hyperbole, right? Couldn't I? Couldn't I just blanket say and assume? Well, it's not feasible for God to create a world in which all of our free evil choices have redemptive value, right? That's not a feasible world. Right. Because because, you know, you, you could flip a coin a million times and, and trying to get heads. Right. So so trying to get a world where every single evil action works out for the good. Right. That you know, that that's a logically possible world, but that's not a feasible world for God to create. And so that's why there's gratuitous evil, because it, it's a byproduct of getting libertarian freedom in the in, in the world, because 
because creating a world where all of that has redemptive value isn't feasible. How do you the answer question. that objection? Because I'm just I'm just assuming that just because that's possible, therefore it's not feasible for God. How is that different than saying you have a logically possible world where all freely believe, but that's not feasible, right? How do you answer that? Because the truth values of that possible world is inaccurate. Like I mentioned before, it's possible that I could never ever lie from here on in. By giving my essence and just the person that I am, the decisions I make in the circumstances, I would never do it. So that's the exact same thing. Though it's possible that I never lie, it's me as a person. I got. I'm not. I can't use me to have all those truth values uh, be actual in order for me to never lie. Similarity in that sense, it's possible, but I never choose it. Right. So is, is, isn't it? Isn't it then possible that um, someone will never choose a sin that is in line with um, uh, an act that glorifies God? Isn't that possible? Uh. I guess if, for example, God made someone sin in the middle of nowhere and it doesn't affect anyone, but then that's why God uses our free will. So if you're going to sin in circumstances, I'm going to use it to my free will, like Pharaoh. He didn't force him to do that. He chose to do it. But, 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 but can, I, can, I, can, I be, can I freely choose to sin in a way that is private and, and that no one will ever know and it has no redemptive value whatsoever? I define redemptive. It could be used against you in a court of law when you get, go to heaven. So there's always value whether it's only for good to yourself as a private, like my own thoughts, for example, uh, but either way. Well, God, God says he works uh, all things for the good of those who love him, right? So, so could an unbeliever, could, I mean, aren't there sins in the unbeliever that they sin I, in their heart in private, out in the wilderness of their own soul? Because, because as, yeah. as Eric said, no one knows the, my private thoughts, right? Couldn't, couldn't an unbeliever yeah. sin in a way that has no redemptive value whatsoever, that has no good whatsoever to those who love God? It's just a byproduct not of libertarian freedom. Not, necess not necessarily because that good that but, it, when but I isn't, isn't that possible? Isn't that possible? So wouldn't that make it not feasible for God? I mean, this this is what I'm saying. I, I can I can say well because because this because this thing is possible because I can rubber stamp libertarian freedom on it. Therefore, it's not feasible for God, right? But you're that assuming same that type the good has to be happen against Molinism. Yeah, but what I'm trying to say is that you assume there has to be a, a physical good towards an unbeliever. For example, I didn't if I say physical. witness to someone, didn't say it, physical. it could be a good that we don't know. For example, I can go up to an unbeliever and present him with the gospel. The fact that he sins in his heart, say, lusting or lying, the good will be able to me to have a cordial conversation. Because if that guy wasn't tempted or if the guy never sinned, why on earth would he have the gospel? So it just makes it easier for me to present to have a cordial dialogue. So that is a good whether I see it or not. He can bash my head in. But years down the track, you go, hang on, that guy presented me with the gospel. And if it was not for the evil committed by the individual, it would have helped me to be able to present the gospel because it would be meaningless to him. What about the Mayan that existed before the gospel was ever presented to anybody? Are you the, saying that, that, it's not, that God can't use all these evils created by free creatures for his glory? It's not nope. I'm, I'm saying, isn't it? Isn't it logically possible since God, since God is um, bound by the cards that He dealt is dealt? I, I don't need bound. That, that some of that some of those cards are going to be um, free evil actions that are just okay. byproducts. They don't. They don't. They don't direct. Like they're not a direct. They're not a direct cause in achieving yeah. His purposes. They're just. They're. They're just a. a First um, of all, okay. I, I get your system. Right. Let me respond here. First of all. I don't know how you would know that. Second, if God is omniscient, 
if he is omnipotent and if he knows how to use our free actions, then I believe in a God that is so sovereign and so great and so mighty and so loving that he can use these free creatures, the action of these free creatures to bring about his end and that everything done here, including the evils, as, as Johnny said, even if we don't see them immediately, can have a ripple effect that will in the future cause other things to, to, to bring about that will, that will be used for God's glory and for God's good. Now, on your view, here's, here's a contrast here. You think the only way God can do that is if he makes them do that. It's not my view. view. Yes, it is. No, Whether you can don't, tell me, don't tell me what I do and don't believe. Well, not why my do you view. believe what you do? Let me ask you this. Why do you believe what you do? Not my belief. Why do you believe what you do? Again, our beliefs are not what's on the topic of discussion, so don't I'm try to shift the burden of proof. Don't, no, no, it's not a burden of proof. It, you, you said it's, it's not your view, so let's clarify this. No, no, why, why do you believe what you do? No, you're trying to you're dodge again. No, I'm, I'm not, not you're dodging. Trying. You're shifting burden of proof. I don't want to have to answer the question for you, but you believe what you do because that's what God determined. Right? <laughs> My view is irrelevant to the coherence of Molinism. Yeah, but we're not even talking about Molinism anymore at this point. We're talking about libertarian free will, and the Molinism will come in as whether God can use the evil. I'm saying he can. I'm saying on your view, the only way he can do that is if he makes them. If he forces people to do certain things by giving them a will, and if they're willing not to say determines their actions. Not my view. Um, so so God, is, God is that omnipotent and that powerful that he can um, orchestrate all of those choices together without any byproduct whatsoever, um, but not powerful enough to create a logically possible world. Well, first of all, it becomes infeasible, and then not in a sense logically possible, not broadly logically possible, if there's not a world in which everybody chooses. I don't know why you keep missing that. Still have yet to show why it metaphysically becomes infeasible. I, okay, if there is not a world in which everyone chooses, then God it's logically possible, so there is. Okay, but if it doesn't happen, again, it's, it's logically possible that I can do is X. It, wait, but it, wait, it, it oh. could be the case that in every possible world, I don't do X. Oh, and isn't that the is isn't that a modal fallacy? Saying saying just because it doesn't actually exist, therefore it doesn't possibly exist. It might. I'm I'm not gonna make a judgment on that. That actually sounds like the modal fallacy to me. That that just no. because it doesn't just because it doesn't exist, I, therefore saying, it can't exist. I'm saying I can do it, but there is no world in which I do. That's the point that you're missing. Just because why is there no, why it. is there no world in which you do it? Why why because is there no feasible why is there no feasible world in which you do it? Because I choose not to. That, that's the point of libertarian freedom. Because, because you choose not to in every single possible world. Right. That, that, every right. circumstance. Right. Yep. So there's, not, so there's not a logically possible world in which you freely choose to do whatever? Correct. It's logically possible, but it is the case that I don't do it. It's that only is the case because, the it's only the case because you've actualized that world. Because it's only the case in this world because God's because, actualized this no, world. I'm there's a logically possible world in which we all do freely believe. That's a logically possible world. You've already granted that that's a logically possible world. Logically possible, but it could be the case that that doesn't ever happen in any world, even though we can do it. That's that, the point. No, you, that's like saying again, Johnny. Maybe you can step in and help help Eric with this. No, that's like saying help you that's like this saying there's, the like there's a logically way. possible world in which there are no other logically possible worlds. No, that's not <laughs> like the universe. Likes. It's, it's like exactly saying, like saying that. It's like saying no. there's a logically possible world in which I believe, but there's also no logical possible world in which I believe. Right? You're no, speaking I, out of I, both I sides. Of no, no, no. I did not say that. I did not say. I'm saying it's logically possible 
it is logically possible, but it could be the case that I don't ever do it. What don't you get about that? It just may not be possible. No, I'm saying it's possible, but I don't do it. In an infinite in the number of worlds. World. In an infinite number <laughs> of worlds. You would do it in any world. In any world. It's it's I can do it. I have that problem. An acorn can become an oak tree. But and there's a world where it becomes an oak tree. <laughs> logically speaking. Get the acorn. Again, again we're not talking about parallel. We're not talking about parallel worlds. We're right, talking exactly, about the right. infinite. We're talking about the infinite yes. number of logically possible worlds. And then you have the worlds in which that are actually so feasible. Have, and if there is no the world in which I do it, then God can't can't. No, 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 no. Because you're saying that set of feasible worlds is determined by God not being able to do it. You can't say because it doesn't exist in no, this I'm minor not. set I'm of saying worlds. they're not feasible because the people don't do it, not because God can't do it. But there is a logically possible world in which God, if he actualized it, they would do it. But the point is, and he can't entailed by W. But and is a fact of W. Not actualizing it because there is no world in which people do that. Even though modal they fallacy. No, you're that is a modal, modal fallacy. fallacy. They have okay. They have right. the capacity to, but I'm, they don't. I'm do over. It. I'm over the topic. You're just speaking out of both sides of the mouth no, at that you're point. Just not getting it. I don't think you even understand what you're saying at this point. I'm repeating but, myself, uh, and you just keep saying no, no, no. I you know you're repeating. You're, you're saying you, you, don't, you don't understand me, so let me repeat the exact same thing four times. And that's um, what you're doing. When I have – okay. I, uh, so we're going to wrap up soon because I, we've already gone later than people on the East Coast want to go. Uh, Johnny said something, and I, I really just want clarification on this. He said the essence of the block doesn't determine whether the block, the person, the soul, the individual, rejects or accepts. I, I don't then, – then what does? Like I, I genuinely want to understand your view what does deter if the essence of the block doesn't do what does they oh, sorry they choose themselves so what i'm trying to what i meant just to clarify as in and this is where romans 9 comes i think it's higher said he doesn't create a person and therefore that creation is going to only not believe for example he's the clay and the potter kind of analogy what i'm trying to say is that the essence isn't determined to make only one choice just because God made them doesn't determine them to make choices, like building a robot, as we'd all agree. But then, so but, it's the essence itself would make the choice, a determining factor as to why. But does so it? It can be influenced, sure. God. But it does make choices based on circumstances, yeah. right? So there's something in there that evaluates circumstances and responds with a choice. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Me and Eric don't say desires are influential, circumstances are influential, anything like that. We believe that circumstances or, or my choice to come online to talk to you guys are influenced by things like joining the modernist group being friends with eric seeing tyler and eric respond and wanting people to understand so they're influential but nothing of those factors are deterministic so yes there is influential factors absolutely whether i am my desires people i speak to but they're not deterministic okay well I, i'll accept that I, I just i think that's a subject that i would like to get into in a different discussion okay that, that's an issue yeah that's fine i get it does that clarify yeah yeah it does, what, it know, does. just to clarify Be before, we, now. before we, we go off and, and I, I would like to you know wrap it up sometime soon oh go ahead i'm sorry did you want to say something well i just wanted to say that uh yeah i was i was going to say what you just said that it looks like we're going to wrap it up soon but we could end on romans 9 if 
if everybody's good with that. Uh, sure. I want. I wanted to relate that. What I was going to say is, I wanted to briefly touch uh, on evangelism, um, on Molinism. Uh, it's possible that someone's saved when someone brings them the gospel. But like what Tyler said earlier, if God declares something, he says, then you would still need to eat. When I say no, if God declares it, it doesn't matter what you do, it's going to happen. And I think that would relate to evangelism. If God declares that someone's going to be saved, then they don't have no, they don't have to be evangelized because God's word is going to come to pass, and it does not depend on human action. The only reason um, evangelism would make sense would be that if people had the choice to freely choose, and then we would need to go and evangelize to give them to to let them know about the gospel. So I'm saying, in our view, is the only view that would make sense for evangelism. Which is a straw man of our view. That's a good assertion. If I could just comment, I think it's what I've noticed is that Eric says something about Calvinism, and then obviously Tyler and um, Owen disagree. I think what uh, Eric is saying, he's not saying you assert X, Y, and Z. Obviously, you are saying something completely different. That's an assertion you're making. You're saying, I'm not asserting that. That's correct. Eric's not saying you're asserting that. However, the logical deduct deduction of your argumentation, your beliefs, imply that. It doesn't, so though. You, so, so we, we that's, get it. That's, because, what, that's the debate, yeah. He's no, just no, saying, no, because we get it. Because okay. I'm going to say the same thing about Eric. I'm going to say that he, he thinks we misunderstand when really we're talking about logical entailments, right? Which, again, it, I, I think logical entailments is a fine way to argue. I think arguing reductio ad absurdum is a fine way to argue. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not seeing the problem. The straw man comes... Because he creates these false dichotomies, where it's look, you, you, if you're if you are if you're a Calvinist and you want to evangelize, right? If God has decreed that someone's going to be saved, then therefore you don't need to evangelize, right? What does that do? It completely ignores the rest of our theology, which talks about means, which talks about the sovereignty of God in evangelism, which talks about obedience to commands, which talks about com uh, compatibilistic free will. Which Can I ask you it, about that then? It, that's why it's a straw man, because no, it engages well, a lesser version of so our system. Are you implying that God's decree is dependent on your action? God's decree includes ends and means. Okay, so then God, uh, again then, you have to evangelize in order for God's decree to happen. Is that what you're because saying? Because God, my, my actions, my evangelism are part of God's decree. But we so they're not separate. So it's not, possible, it's not possible for God to decree something without you acting? Is that if not possible? God, if God has decreed that my action will be the means to bring about the ends, then my actions are be what brings about the ends. And there's nothing you can do about it, right? So if you evangelize as someone who's not elect, it's it's in vain. It's pointless, and you, well, you no, can't even obey. You can't even obey commandments because God's the one that is making you obey them. Well, the discussion of means would be, for example, you the, compatibilism. The, no, the Ethiopian. I think you no, the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch versus the conversion of Paul, for example. One was the means of uh, an apostle, a human coming and talking to him, and the other was the direct intervention of God into in, into Paul's moment or event, right? And so that's, he uses different means in different circumstances. So yeah, God could do it without the means of evangelism. That would have been an example. But I'm saying on that view, then God needs you to evangelize. 
But no, in your view, free, God yeah. needs you to freely choose X. Yeah. Oh no. Sure. Right. He <laughs> needs right, and it's my free choice. And if I don't do that, then he has to create a different world to get his ends. And it's, my, view, and it's my compatibilistic choice. No, it's not your choice. God's making you. You're just a link in a chain, like I said in our last discussion. You're just, you're just a link in the chain of the actual world that's created. I mean, no, we could I'm we could make this assertion. Let's go. Let's go to Romans. You're not God actually. And actually, the scary thing is, is that as a Christian, you think you're a prime mover rather than ascribing God as the and prime mover. you were mover. determined to think that's that, even if it's false. You were, uh, you were determined to think that even it's false. That's the scary thing. You think that you firmly believe this. Yeah, let's dodge this. Go to Romans 9. I'm not dodging. I'm actually giving you a lifeline. No, you're, you're trying to, no, you're trying to hang, okay. you're, you're, you're helping yourself out. Okay. If you, if you say so, uh, let's go so to Romans you. nine. So, I love hey, you too. I, th I think you're hanging yourself. I gave you more rope. No, so you, Roman, Roman you, even have, said that, you said, have I you been able to study? Have you been able to study to be able to exegete the passage and answer the question I asked last time? Sure. Why does verse 19 logically well, flow from let's do 17? This. Just tell me what you think Romans nine is trying to say rather than asking me. I want to hear on Molinism and, and libertarian freedom, your view, right? Because because I, I, I think I definitively showed view, last time your objection was the objection of verse 19. No, the objection of verse 19 is a Jew. They we're not talking about Molinism and Arminianism and Calvinism. They you, didn't honestly, Eric, would you just exegete the passage? Like, I'm not, I just, I want to know. Like, you personally, you don't even have to stand in for Molinism at this point. What is your understanding of Romans 9 and bring in the context of the book of Romans if you want. What's your yeah. exegesis? Let, let, let me broadly exegete it that God is able to use people's free choices and he can he knows how to harden people He knows what it takes to harden people and that they freely choose to be hardened and God can use those Decisions those hardenings just like uh, he said what you meant for evil God use it for good That God is able to use people's free choices to bring about his ends No that, that that was a lot of theologizing and just stating your position. Can you exegete the passage? Uh, let's let me pull up Romans nine. I really want to hear what what exactly you think it's saying, because okay, where do you want to start from? Fourteen. Well, fourteen. You can go up. You can go up. You can go up farther. I mean, you can start wherever you want in Romans nine if you think you. Need I will to have mercy on who I have mercy, and I will have compassion on who I have compassion. Yep, I believe that. Um, so then, God's choice is not dependent on human will and a human effort. Yep, He can freely choose what He wants. Uh, but God shows mercy. Scripture says, "I raised Him up for this purpose." Yep, God knew what Pharaoh would do, and He used Him for His purposes. Um, so His name. Okay, God shows mercy. Right. So I, I, where, where do you think that we disagree here on Romans? Because everything it's saying, I, I, I take it, I, I, I sure. take it what it says that Sorry. God used Pharaoh and God raised Pharaoh up, and He can harden who He wants and has grace on who He wants. Tyler, explain to him why you think the interlocutor is saying something different than what he believes the interlocutor is saying. Because I think that's really the central part of the argument. So. It, let me let me read the verse all the way through, because I asked you to exegete. And by the way, reading saying, "Yep, I agree with that," isn't exegeting. All right, because so I, I want to know passage. what your objection is specifically. That that that's why, because we we've seen. I gave it. To, I gave it to you last time. So no, okay. you really didn't. You just said what you just kept asking the same question. The verse says, right? We'll we'll, we'll start up in let's 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 give you let's give you a running start. Let's give some context. Start at verse six, uh, but. It is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they're Abraham's descendants. 
but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of the promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he, has said to, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? So he goes to this section. Paul is writing. He goes to this section and he's giving examples. He's saying, okay, well, did the, you know, he's answering the question, did the promises of God fail? And he says, no, the promises of God did not fail. Why? Because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, right? There were people who were descended that weren't there. How do we know this? Because God chose Jacob over Esau, and he chose them based on his divine decree. It wasn't based on what either of them had done, good or bad. He chose them before they were born. What shall we say then? Is there, is there no injustice with God? Is there? Right? So, he's quite, so he anticipates a first question. Well, isn't that unjust? Isn't that unfair? How can God choose to love Jacob but hate Esau before they've done anything good or bad? Right? Isn't that unjust? And he says, may it never be. Um, may againeta. It's the strongest way that you can say never, basically. No, 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 no. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. God's basically saying, I'm going to choose who I have mercy on. I'm going to choose who I have compassion on. It's a, and so, so, so then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs. Right? He's saying, God's saying, I'm going to determine who I have mercy on. I'm going to determine who I have compassion on. And it doesn't depend on who the man wills or runs. And he gives another example. He says, so basically, let's look at Pharaoh, right? What happened with Pharaoh? For this very reason, I raised you up to demonstrate my power so that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, right? Because his desires determine his, his actions. And he hardens whom he desires. You're doing a lot of reading. What you said is not exegeting. Okay, whatever. The question comes in verse 19. He anticipates an objection by his interlocutor. The interlocutor says, or his question that he anticipates the interlocutor saying, why does God still find fault? Why does God still find us morally capable for who resists his will? The interlocutor reads what Paul is saying and says, wait a second, I have an objection. It's clear that we don't resist his will in this, that he's determining what happens. How is it that the whole point of this is, how is that fair? How can he still have, how can we still have moral responsibility? 
How can he still find us at fault if we cannot resist his will? That's the objection that's being raised in verse 19, right? You're saying that if we can't resist his will, if he's determining what we do, then it's unjust. What's the point? Why are we even talking about this? We have no more responsibility. We're just like robot, whatever, right? This objection that Paul's interlocutor gives is your objection. If not, exegete the passage. Tell me what this objection means then. Uh, I, I, I know Johnny wants to jump in here because I know he, he had mentioned some stuff earlier, but here he's talking to the Jews, and he's talking about a hardening. And he even says in Romans 11, he talks about a hardening that he's done. And yes, God can choose who he wants to harden, and he can use this. Now they're saying that's not fair. You're hardening me. You're provoking me. You're doing whatever. You're, you're, you're hardening the Jews, and that's not fair. And God says, well, hey, he can harden on who he wants because there are unfaithful Jews. And on some unfaithful Jews, he had mercy on. And on some unfaithful Jews, he hardened, which means he allowed them to do what they were doing, and he hardened what they were already doing. So, yeah, God can do that. Pharaoh's not a Jew. Right, okay, and that's an example of someone who he, he's given examples of what he can do with people and that he can freely use the decisions of people. Romans 11 is after this. It's not part of the context of this, of this statement. Yeah, but surely we don't just read one verse in one chapter. We, we take things as a whole. No, Johnny, but surely, you, surely we understand the stuff. argument at the point that they're at. Sure, absolutely. Right, and as a whole, he's talking to, to the Jews. Go ahead, Johnny. Uh, so but the reason why you put up Romans 11, because um, Romans 9, 10, 11 all flow through. So if they contradict with each other, there's big issues, intercontextual issues. But to exegete the passage pretty quickly, firstly, we have to think uh, the Jewish people here to, uh, basically rejected Christ. The Jewish mind over here thought, hang on, if I was born as a Jew, Abraham's physical lineage, therefore I should be say time is saying you've rejected your messiah because how is that possible if i'm uh a jew they thought they'll save by lineage and then he continues and goes not as though the word of god have none effect for they are not all over israel which are of israel so what he's trying to say even though they rejected it god's already put this in his plan so yeah okay well regardless of you rejected it this is part of his plan this is still part of his purposes his purpose was never for everyone to be saved and to be not to reject neither because there is verse seven um, actually, so do you guys have the text in front of you? Just so I don't have to read it out. Okay, so verse seven. Okay, in Isaac shall so neither because of, okay, but in Isaac shall a seed be called. The word seed here is singular, referring to Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ the Messiah will come through the uh, lines of Isaac? Now we've got to understand here that there was Sarah and Hagar. Isaac came through Sarah, and we had uh, Ishmael that came through Hagar. At the time. God told Abraham, I will give you a son to Sarah, not to Hagar. Abraham, by his own physical, uh, his fleshly acts, went to Hagar, uh, copulated with her, and then brought uh, Ishmael. And then the Jews here are thinking, hang on, obviously he's going to pick Sarah and Isaac because that's the promised woman. So in the Jewish mind, they didn't think of Hagar as anything special. So in their mind, God had to choose Isaac. God's not that sovereign. So that's why Paul uses Jacob and Esau to show his sovereignty. 
then it goes on to, that's why he used Rebecca, because the, the Jewish mind thought the only reason Isaac was chosen is because Sarah was the promise which would come, so he had to. So he goes, fine, I will choose Isaac's wife, Rebecca. Jacob and Esau have the same mother, so you cannot use the argumentation that the status of the mother had anything to do with it because they're both twins. On top of that, he reverses what's called the law of promulgation. And in the Jewish law, what they had in, in the society at the time was that the older, so the younger should serve the older. And God goes, no, I am so sovereign. I will choose the older to serve the younger, which completely shows his sovereignty because they can't do that. The law says otherwise. But he flipped that around. He goes, no, I, will, I loved and I hated Esau and I uh, loved Jacob. This just shows... It's a semantic language illustrating the favor of one over another. And then he goes, what shall we say then, given these, um, uh, these illustrations? Is the unrighteous with God? May Genoito, God forbid. What they're trying to say is God slack. Is he unrighteous for choosing Jacob? And if he goes, no. And then he gives the illustration to Moses. So he says to Moses, I will have mercy upon who has mercy, and I will compa compassion of who will have compassion. The text that he's referring to is when Moses went to Mount Sinai, came down, and they're building the, the calf, all of Israel sinned. It's not the fact is why do you have mercy in X, Y, and Z. Everyone said no one deserves mercy. That's what he's trying to say. Is I will have mercy because you all don't deserve it. He killed 3,000 people that day. Because if he had killed everyone, if he did not have mercy on anyone, his promises would be gone because there's no, be no more Israel besides Moses himself. Moses in the context said, no, let me sacrifice myself for them. He goes, no, I will have mercy upon who will have mercy. And he had mercy on 3,000. Now, if mercy means to be saved, then that means everyone who he had been merciful to were saved at the time, which obviously is incorrect. Furthermore, uh, then he goes, then he shows it's not man's will. We see in John 1 11 where it's God's will, it's not of by bloods and by uh, man's will, it's upon God's whom he has mercy. And then, he gives, and then he gives Pharaoh, this is important, there was 10 plagues that were given. The first five times Pharaoh hardened his own heart. The sixth time, that's when God intervened and goes, I will harden your heart. Hardening does not mean to change someone's heart from good to bad. It just means whatever disposition that heart is already in, it makes it stronger. So if I say no, that no will just be strengthened. It won't be changed from yes to a no. So it's only until the sixth time uh, Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God himself. Every other time before that, it was Pharaoh's free will to do otherwise. He hardened his own heart. And then he goes on to say, um, that say why is he a father who he has resisted his will? Verse 19. Now, this is exactly the whole point. God's will was always to incorporate the free will of every other individual of Pharaoh and everything else. That's the whole point. So after the Jewish mind had a deterministic factor, Pharaoh was free, but he was according to his will that these things occur. And just like the Molinist says, the truth value of the counterfactual of the creature field occurs prior God's will or God's decree. God's will does not determine the truth value of the counterfactual of the creature freedom. They come prior to, logically prior. God knows and uses them for his purposes. So there's nothing inconsistent with Molinism right there whatsoever. No, here he says, entire, uh, it was Exodus 7, he goes, I will harden, yes. But that assumes that the next time he speaks to Pharaoh, that's when it will be hardened. Now, the question is, if God was the primary cause of the hardening, why then does the Hebrew change from the Lord hardeneth and Pharaoh's heart was hardening? If it was the same person, there would be no reason to. Secondly, in the Greek, the subject of the verse in Pharaoh's heart was hardened, is Pharaoh's heart. So Pharaoh's heart himself hardened himself. It was not an external cause, as we see 
through the law hard enough. So there's a big issue there as well. A purpose too. I, what, I said, Jesus, what, I'm using the languages. What 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 verses you're saying that it's a it's a middle? Uh, let me check. Sorry, let me get my Greek. I've up. got the list here. That uh, that sounded like a st strange grammatical statement. So I'd like to check it. Uh, I find the thing. Where is it? Are you, are you talking about the statement in Romans nine? No, so we've got Exodus. Well, Exodus is written in Hebrew, so it wouldn't be the Greek construction. The Hebrew and the Greek and the Exodus say the same thing. The Hebrew is intrinsic. It's reflective. The heart hardened itself, or Pharaoh hardened his own heart. What passage was it? Ephesians four? Someone bring it up. Exodus four. Ephesians four. Yeah, Exodus four twenty one. <laughs> yeah, we've got to wait to perform. I will harden his heart, correct. And you have in Ephesians 3, before then, Exodus, sorry, Exodus 3, and I, Exodus 3, 19, this is God saying, speaking, and I am sure that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. He foreknew what Pharaoh would do, and he was correct. God will harden his heart, and there's no doubt about that. But it was not until the sixth time that God himself hardened Pharaoh's heart. It wasn't the first time. The first five times, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. It was until the sixth God goes, I will personally do the hardening. Uh, yeah, that, uh, I mean, starting in verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I put you in power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let your people go. Then you shall yeah. say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord Israel, my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Um, so the question is, we both agree God that had, did in fact harden Pharaoh's heart. The question is when. Your position would be, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the first instance of the hardening which occurs... Uh, at the water in blood, Exodus 7, 14 to 24, that that's when Pharaoh's heart was hardened. My suggestion is that number six, which the plague is the boils. Yeah. In Exodus 9, 12, in the sixth plague, it says, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Every other time, it says the, uh, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. It wasn't the Lord that actually did that himself. So it is true that he will do it. It's just when. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. I think it's questionable. I think. I think God is very clearly seen as as the uh, as the triumphant part. Part of my um, one of the reasons why I don't necessarily want to go to the Exodus passages because I also hold to a different view of what the hardening of the heart is. Um, Could I just briefly? What do you think that is? Sorry, just briefly. It doesn't mean we have to talk about. It, just so I, I know where you're. <clears throat> Uh, the the it actually I think it actually be translated better as the heaving of the heart. Um, Correct. Heaving. There's three Hebrew words for hardening. Strength yeah, and I think, et cetera. Be, yeah. I think it'd be better um, heavying because uh, it refers. I, I think there. Well, I read a polemical view of it where um, he's actually engaging and saying by his own standard he's actually going to be held guilty. The heaving of a heart was actually when someone died. They went before Anubis in Egyptian mythology and they would rip out the heart put it on the scales next to the, the feather of truth. And if it was heavy, 
they were found guilty and Anubis would devour their soul. Um, so I think, I think what's, what's actually happening is, um, God, God is saying that he will, he will condemn, <laughs> he, he will condemn the heart of Pharaoh. Um, so the, yeah, cause, yeah. I, 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 I don't take the whole hardening as, as the fact of God is actually, or, uh, you know, Pharaoh is somehow like hardening to God. I, I, I just, I don't take that view. So I, I don't know if that's, um, really that salient here. Um, but I, I still want to go back because, um, I'm not sure I'm clear on, on, on what you think is happening between verses 17 and 19 of Romans nine. Pick that up, like, like why does, why does verse 19, why, why does verse 19, what is it about that? What Paul just said in 17 and 18 that causes them to say verse 19 and, and is verse 19 a categorical statement? Okay. Right. Do, is that, you go like, back to do verse, you know what I mean by like categorical statement? Give us an example. Um, a, a categorical statement would be, and now I'm just completely blanking on an example besides this. No, that's fine. Um, yeah, that's fine. Like, like saying, um, you, you know, who could who could stand up in front of a semi truck, right? So a a rhetorical question. It's a categorical yeah. statement of, of every not not rhetorical, but it's a category. When when you have when you have a human and you have a semi truck running towards them, okay. the human's going to lose, right? Okay. Every single time. It's just oh, it's just categorical so that way. And men. Yeah. So so he's saying he's saying every one of us can't resist his will. Like the, of course, that's the, what he's saying. Yeah. Like none of us can resist his will. Like so so why okay. does he still find fault? Is is the question? So, what is it? What is it that's said in verses 18, 17 and eighteen that leave the interlocutor? Or really, I mean, Paul is anticipating this from his interlocutor. This isn't a real person. What is it that leads Paul to anticipate this question from his interlocutor, based on what he's just said in seven, you know, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen? Basically, if we look at verse six, just so we know, the whole purpose of um, the decree was that regardless of people have. Be, do be sin and whatnot. It's all according to his purpose. The Jewish mind is thinking how if all the calamity and Pharaoh's hardening and people committing idolatry is according to his purpose, how could they be held accountable? Now the question is, was the purpose for example Pharaoh's hardening's heart, they committing idolatry was determinative, or was it free will? So just because he is part of his plan, they can still be held accountable because in those all those instances that he mentioned we're all free except the sovereignty between Jacob and Esau and he bring the lining. So the illustration of Pharaoh was saying this was part of his plan. Now the question is, you and I would disagree, was was the hardening determined to always occur or did God use the free actions of Pharaoh as part of his plan? So that's why... Well, notice, notice though, notice yeah. when Paul, though, when he answers his own question, he doesn't say, well, because Pharaoh sinned, duh. Oh, of course, but it, beforehand, the Jewish mind, that's why he gave the explanation prior. Because in, in the Jewish mind, when we read it, we read it on face value. If we know who, what he's referring to is in the ten plagues of Israel and things of that, we think, hang on, they would have known that Pharaoh hardened his heart the first five times. It wasn't God being determinative. And that's the whole point is that he's using the free actions of Pharaoh and this is part of his will. Thirdly, on modernism, if you're saying, if you're saying Romans 9 is not effective modernism, God's will doesn't pop into the third moment when he decides to actualize all the true counterfactuals that has happened prior. So they can still be held accountable because those freedom permitting circumstances and his free uh, actions that he's done has already been taken into account. But and notice he does, God uses it. Yeah. I'm just going to come back to the text and I'm going to say, 
Paul doesn't answer that way. That's not yeah, Paul's prior, answer. Yeah, but correct. Paul, he said no Paul's one can, answer. Paul's answer is look no on the contrary. Who who are you to answer back? And then he doesn't say anything about our sin. He doesn't say anything about our will. He 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 still says, you know what? Yeah. That's God's prerogative to do that. Exactly, and that's why it's fine. And that's why I, I agree. God can do anything, but in those circumstances, it's completely fine. But why is it completely fine? A, because it's God, we'd agree. But B, the circumstances are fairer. We're all free, so he can do whatever he wants. He can place people in circumstances that freely choose and to bring about good. So the Jewish mind thought it was unfair because God used the evil. And he's like, so what? They freely chose to do evil. So who are you, I man, to question God? That's according to his purpose. If he wants to use evil according to his purpose, who are you to do it? But you the have no right. Is, the question is about moral responsibility. Correct. And that's, yeah, I, I agree. And that's why I, he's saying, who are you to judge? He can do that because they, they've been free the whole time. They didn't have to. They weren't but determined. The, and that's why I, I agree with this first. But there's no question about moral, moral responsibility on, right? I mean, we all agree. No one, no one accuses libertarian freedom of undermining moral responsibility. Nobody objects that way. I, th I think we all grant it. Right, we we might disagree that libertarian freedom is true, right? All that kind of stuff, but but the undermining moral responsibility seems to be. I mean, that, that's really only an objection that's posed to uh, yeah. notions of freedom that are less than libertarian free, right? Yeah. So the fact that this actually is a protestation about moral responsibility, why does he still find fault? They wouldn't object that way if everyone just understood libertarian freedom and that, and that Paul was giving a, a, you know, he wasn't, you know, he was giving, talking about the, the, you know, the, the way that God works all of our free choices together because no one, no one disagrees. I mean, everyone's, I agree on Molinism. If God is working somehow all of our free choices together, then of course we're morally responsible because there, there are, we have libertarian freedom. That's our free choice. That's not a problem. This objection doesn't make sense. On that view, right? Because but no one objects. No one objects that way. Yeah, but they objected to the fact that God used Pharaoh as a, a means by which that you would agree, right? They're rejecting the fact that God used Pharaoh, his um, stupidity and sin, for the means by which to create his plan. That was always according to his purpose, right? Well, so, well, sort of. But the question again, I'm just going to point it back. The question is about moral responsibility. The question is. Why is Pharaoh even guilty? Why? Because why, he, why is he, he even morally back, culpable? It, because he freed his own heart. But then, that's, but, that's not, back, but that's not a question. Right? No one would question his moral culpability if we say if if Paul was just saying, "Oh, well, he hardened his own mm -hmm. heart, and so therefore God accomplished his person, his you know, his his plans with him." No one says, "Oh, well, then why does he? Why is he still guilty? He hardened his own heart." That's clear. That's, that's just, yeah, that just that illusion do doesn't follow. People do object to okay. If you know, for example, if a cop uh, poses as a drug dealer and someone buys drugs, you say, "Oh, well, you set me up." You say, "No, I didn't. I may have set up the circumstances, but you still freely chose to buy the drugs, and you're guilty." So yeah, people do object that when there is libertarian freedom, they can still try to wiggle out and say, "Well, no, look, you you made me buy them because you pose as a drug dealer, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And the cop can say, "No, I did set up the circumstances, but you freely chose to do this, so you are still culpable." So when God hardens these people, when God, which is his prerogative to harden them, they are still responsible because they are still acting upon these things. When I discipline my child, she may be very upset with me, 
but it is still her, whatever she does out of that anger or whatever, what have you, it is still her fault. She can't say, well, you upset me. Sure, but you still chose to act upon your whatever, whatever it is that you chose to do. You are still in control. That's why the Bible talks about spiritual formation and discipline and fasting, because discipline assumes libertarian free will. It assumes that you can, it assumes that you have the decision to act and to, to make yourself, in a sense, better through discipline, through learning, uh, through crucifying the flesh. It is your choice. If it is not your choice, then you are not more responsible if it is God, the one making you do that. But if it is your choice and you have the freedom to discipline yourself, to practice, just like any athlete would practice certain skills, it, that, that, that's his fault. So when he messes up in the game, it's his fault because perhaps he didn't practice the way he should have. So in your libertarian freedom, you are still culpable. And people can question and have questioned that, no, I'm not responsible. I couldn't do it. And God can say, well, yeah, you could have because you failed to fast, pray, or whatever, what have you, to, to perform better in the game. All right. <laughs> any more any more responses from you guys? Or it's like almost it's almost two in the morning over here. Y'all want to give closing or uh, a one minute closing, if y'all will, or, or y'all just want to end it? I have a quick question. Um, this is sort of off topic. This is closing. I, I'm just seeking. I understand from a Calvinist perspective where God could use unbelievers for His greater glory. So if he's if it's true that He used Pharaoh to sin, and all that and it was determined and all that kind of stuff, compatibility freedom. I guess it's not as hardening for me. But what's weird is that. If me and Eric are determined to believe a lie, which essentially, if Calvinism is true, then Molinism is a lie. Why would God determine us to not only believe Molinism intrinsically within ourselves, but potentially speak up against God's truth when we are his children? Or, or furthermore, if we have people like Dr. Lady Flowers, where he was preaching the truth, if Calvinism is true for 10 years, why would it determine him to stop believing what was initially true? If, if it's for his glory, then... He uses his, his own love children to believe lies, and you know what I'm trying to get at. You may not be yeah. safe, thank you. <laughs> yeah, my my answer is going to be kind of a two quoque. Uh, I'm I'm going to basically say that's a problem of all systems that have any concept of any concept of freedom and any concept of sovereignty, because the the. That, that's not unique to Calvinism. I mean, that's gonna that's gonna fall under Molinism as well, right? Because because I'm going to say, well, if that's the case. Why did God choose to actualize the world where that happened? Why didn't He, why didn't he choose to actualize a world where that didn't happen? Why didn't, why didn't He choose an action? Right. So, so that, I mean, you're going to have the exact same. You're going to have the exact same problem. And I'm, I'm actually going to, you know, I'm going to go even further and get, I'm going to say, um, if you were a good father, would would you put a chainsaw in a room with your two year old, a running chainsaw? Would you, you put them in a situation to abuse their freedom? Well, one, I, 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 we're this, not going to say you're a very good father. Right, but this is just analogous because a better analogy would be would I buy my, my child who is responsible a car knowing that they can kill themselves and wreck in the car and, and kill other people. So me buying my child a car, which is, would be a better analogy, does not make me responsible for any accidents that they get in. Except God's omniscient. He he knows right. that we would damn our souls. He knows it's it's yeah. not just that we know we might get in a car accident. It's sure. are you going to give your child a car knowing, knowing that they are gonna get in a fatal car accident the instant they leave your house? 
Well, first of all, it's not an issue. Okay. Yeah, now, now we're arguing the analogy, not necessarily the principle of what I'm trying to say. When, like but I said, God considers all factors. God considers all factors. If there's a world, if any world that God creates, people are going to sin and reject him. If that's the case for any world God creates, then God is sovereign, and you can't blame him for that, to use these actions. Because, in fact, when I was a, when I was a freshman in college, um, both my atheist professors were, were – uh, both my philosopher professors were atheists, and a lot of what they said drove me – to study more and become, if you will, a better Christian. So God knew that in creating these two professors, they probably won't ever choose Christ. However, he knew that in creating them, that would bring about a greater good and allow me to, to, to study further and to, to, to get deeper, especially within the philosophy of mind, the soul. One of the reasons I studied it was because my professor, that was one of his strong objections against Christianity and religion was that the soul cannot exist. So God knows how to use any and every situation and circumstance. He is that sovereign to use every circumstance for his good. So it's not just about one person saying, oh, I can't create a world in which, in which people aren't saved. He doesn't think that way. He's thinking the more broader picture. That's why he's free to do that, and no one can blame him. Not blaming him. No, I, I know. I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying I'm, I'm, I'm referring kind of what, what you were saying about what Paul was asking. So God can use the free creatures of people to bring about a greater good. Even if that means creating people who freely, they are the first movers, and they can do otherwise, even if it means creating those people. Yeah, I just I, I just don't think libertarian freedom is all that cracked up then. I mean, th there are all kinds of cases where I can think of where we're morally obligated to limit people's freedom. Where I, I, I have an absolute obligation well, if I love someone to, to, to enforce my will over you're, theirs. You're, you're also not omnipotent as God is, and you don't know everything and what ripple effects everything would have. Uh, when I when I think of Molinism, I like to think of what's called a Rube Goldberg machine. Perhaps the listeners can Google it. It's where you have yes. a, a, an instance of a lot of things happening. You know, volleyball rolls, a balloon pops, a seesaw moves, and at the end, a certain goal is accomplished. If we replace these, and again, it's a loose analogy, if we replace all these objects with people's free decisions. God knows how to use the free decisions to to get an end goal uh, an end goal accomplished. Yeah, and and my final response is. God could have created a Rube Goldberg machine with no evil and no suffering. So we, we all Christians need to come to the question of why didn't God do that? There, and on your no, view, God makes not, people do the evil. That, that's where we would differ. Not my view. Again, not my view. Okay. I, I, really, right. I really think you're operating under a lot of misconceptions about what Calvinism is. We talked. I, I don't want to explain this again, but if, you, if your desire is necessary to determine your actions, and God gives you your actions, and God is the one to determine your desires— when I shoot a gun, the bullet is not responsible for the murder. I am because though it was the bullet that directly penetrated the heart, the bullet was caused by the hammer and then pulled by the trigger, but I was the first mover to this causal chain, not the bullet. If right. Calvinism is true, you're the bullet. God's the one pulling the trigger. Why would we still find fault for who can resist the will of the shooter? Uh, no. We need to no. wrap up this. It'll go on forever. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang on I'm gonna hang on for a little bit if people are, are hanging around I know I know probably uh, Johnny probably can hang on but I know Owen and and Eric and everyone else are probably heading out but I'll hang out. All right. Well, that was a, it was a uh, good discussion. Hopefully, we can have uh, more discussions in the future on this topic. Um, and thank you to Eric and Johnny, Owen and Tyler for uh, coming out tonight or this morning. I don't know which which one you guys want to call it, depending on where you are. Interrupt, bro. Do y'all have uh, a closing statement? 
I, I know I know oh. Owen seems to. Y'all want to have a one minute closing? I think Owen's talking is your your mic's mute. Great. I said I'll let Tyler do it. <laughs> he can take the one minute closing. Uh, I was gonna say I was gonna say I was gonna let Owen do it, uh, but I'll I'll just I'll honestly repeat that I don't think we heard anything different than we heard in the prior discussion, um, and I actually think we saw quite a bit more of the um, the inconsistencies uh, come out. I, I do appreciate um, the brothers, but uh, I think I think we see that. Um, Molinism undermines the omnipotence of God because God is now not able to create um, a logically possible world. Um, we see that it undermines his omniscience because even though that, that God um, foreknew what would happen in that world, somehow our creaturely freedom is pulled out and would undermine. And we, uh, even though God knew 100% of people would believe, 100% um, of people wouldn't believe if that world was actualized, which undermines his omniscience. I think it undermines his om uh, omnibenevolence. Um, because God uh, set up the conditions um, so that we would only act in the way that was according to his plan. Um, and so therefore, uh, I think we still fall under the same. If they find a valid objection, why are we still find fault? Or who can resist his will? I think that same objection uh, lands against their view. Um, and then the, the question is, uh, it, it, does God have a sadie? Right? Is God is God altered? Is His knowledge altered uh, based on based on exterior factors? And I'm going to say that if God chooses a world or His knowledge is dependent on on our free choices, that undermines His aseity. And I think their view makes God less free than us, um, because God actually is determined by His uh, desires, and the Scriptures tell us exactly um, that God does whatever He desires. Um, so I, I think it the logical extension of Molinism is that it undermines um, the most important attributes of God. And so again, just like last time, I am thankful that my brothers here are, um, are Orthodox and don't hold Molinism consistently. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let Johnny say something after me. Um, again, if I, I have the moral property to eat dog poop, but I never will. So that does not undermine God's omnipotence or anything like that. Or omniscience, he knows he knows that I will do X, and he knows that I could do not X. So he knows all things. Um, now I, I believe uh, we're consistent. I believe it's the Calvinists who's consistent when they when they uh, evangelize, knowing that only a certain amount of people are elect. Um, if you were consistent, you would just let the elect be done because God's decree does not depend on human action. Um, the 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 objection, the the interlocutor with Paul, he's he the the objector here is someone who has been hardened. That's the objection. Is that he's saying, "No, God hardened me. Why can you blame me?" I already use the analogy of, of of being a parent, of of hardening your kid. You 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 can discipline your kid, and it will harden their heart, and they're still responsible for whatever they do based on that hardening. Even though I was the one who hardened them through discipline, they are still responsible. So now I, don't, I think Molinism exalts God's sovereignty, His omniscience, His uh um His love and whatnot, and I think uh. Anything less diminishes it, such as Calvinism. Um, God doesn't want everyone to be saved. He doesn't uh, choose everyone to be saved. He would be the altar of evil because he makes people act. They don't have the freedom to act. They are not the first movers. God is the first mover. Everyone else is just an intermediate chain, um, and it diminishes a, a lot more. Johnny? Uh, Owen, do you want to jump on just so we have even Calvinist Molinist, Calvinist Molinist? Or? No, and I don't mind if you take your time also. It's totally fine with me. I'll be an hour, is it okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll be a minute. Um, so first, I think the main thing I need to stress is that despite 
if any viewers here think, you know, obviously a little bit of emotion come out. We all, you know, have a love for the Lord and that's the main thing. Despite the fact that we have our differences, they are major in, to a degree, I'm not diminishing that, but they're not, in my opinion anyway, salvifically inclined to lose your salvation if you believe X or Y. I think the main thing we need to understand is that we all love each other uh, regardless. And in saying that, you know, it's been great to speak to both parties. I think the main issue here is not the assertion of what the other party says, but it's implication. And that's where the main difference is. Uh, I'm not going to say anything new, uh, but basically everyone here shouldn't trust what any of us say. We should always go to the scripture and uh, discern accordingly. Both systems have their own mysteries. It just depends where you want to put it. If you want to put it, the fact that I'm not too sure how we can be determined and our free will to be determined for us to want to sin and yet we'd be responsible even though we could not want to do otherwise and you want to put the mystery there, that's fine. Molinism just tries to go, no, that's not where the mystery should be because there's a plausible answer. There's a plausible answer for God not making him the author of sin as implication does suggest, whether you agree with them, it doesn't matter. We have to put the mystery of how does God know everything or something along those lines. So that's what we're trying to do. Molinism just tries to say, no, I'm not happy for where we are there's a possible explanation. It's a very good explanation. Then why don't we do it? At the end of the day, I thank everyone for uh, you know participating. I hope you all got a kick out of it. And once again, regardless of any emotional storage, um, we all love, love each other in the Lord. All right. So uh, thanks everyone for coming out. I wanted to um, actually give uh, praise to Eric, uh, Owen, and Tyler because for Eric, I, I'm a big fan of Eric's. Uh, and so during, before the first, um, and I'll make this quick, before the first discussion, I was really excited when I heard the names because I, I've seen Eric's work, a lot of his work and I'm friends with David. So, you know, so he would send me your stuff and I, I still love watching your stuff and I, it, it's excellent. Um, Thank you. So I want to give you encouragement for that. And also for Tyler uh, and Owen uh, on the Christmas Victor network and, the Free Thinker podcast. So I, I watched all that stuff. I love all of that stuff. And I, I yeah, and I, I just wanted to give that praise because I didn't give that in the beginning. But anyways, um, uh, God bless the, the viewers and um, have a great night. Yeah. So good thinking. This has been a production of the Council of Google+. Plus. Well, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Freed Thinker Podcast. As always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, commendations, or condemnations, please feel free to visit the blog at freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com, email me at freedthinkerpodcast.gmail.com, or stop on by the Freed Thinker page on Facebook. Join us next time as we challenge us all to think freely and be freed indeed. Good night and God bless. <laughs>